I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Carrie Nelson. And we love to watch. We love to watch the best movies of last year. It's more like the best movies of last. We're very back. Yeah, last last year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is our first episode of 2023. We've been doing some favorite episodes uh, in January, but this is officially our first new episode of 2023. The year we're going to call more breaks. <laughs> Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, towards the end of last year, we started doing uh, actual Zoom sessions where we look mm-hmm. at each other's faces. Um, it's had some really nice positives. Um, I feel closer with our guests, like we're spending more actual time with them. Um, we, uh, we actually get to like see each other's faces. So I feel like I know particularly our friend Carrie a little bit better after this, hopefully. Uh, and then, um, I guess like a wash, you know, I mentioned positives. A wash is like Aaron and I still just interrupt each other constantly. (laughs) I yeah, I it, it turns I out it wasn't the Skype delay. It's we don't care. <laughs> moving, and I'm like, whatever's coming out no. next, don't care. <laughs> I'm gonna cut all this out. Uh, I was I was telling Carrie uh, in the green room before you joined Peter that there's been more than a few occasions where I think our facial expressions are probably hurting each other's feelings. Like there's one time where I made some joke. I forgot what it was. It was it was a bad joke. Like, let's be clear. It was We Love to Watch Caliber Comedy. And you, like, visibly kind of rolled your eyes and sighed and went on to the next <laughs> thing. <laughs> or there's been more than a few times where I think one of us has, like, picked up our phone while the other person's talking, which before, stealthy, easy to do. Right now we're right just rubbing there. Yeah. Just, yeah. just cover the camera. <laughs> Sorry. I got Nothing's happening uh, here. Yeah. But Carrie, uh, <laughs> you're back on the show as well. Is yeah. It, is it true that you haven't been on since the last one of these? Are we? No, I was happened? on. I was on twice in January, and the other time was Firewalk with me, which was which was oh. such a downer that we all needed yeah. a break. <laughs> Well, right. And we, now we've back. talked about this on on the show a little bit, but 2022 was the year we got behind really bad in in our in podcast, and so we just kind of stopped having guests. But we were always like, well, except like Carrie and Rick and some of our favorites, but then we never had them on. Like we said, except in our heads, but then forgot to actually ever. We're like, obviously, exception to the rule. They can come on every time. We're never going to mention when, but they if they knew where we were. They could come on, but yeah. we just but have to work on our psychic all, powers. Yes, it's all it's all relative too. Um, my brother-in-law Bill Fox complained that he hadn't been on in a while, and I was like, "You were on four times in two months." Yeah, and he just, we're fine. He's also canonically dead on our show. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. So it's gonna Rip. we're gonna have to really come up with some good ideas to bring him back. Rip Bill. Uh, yeah, but Carrie, uh, if, since it's been almost a year or over a year, I guess, even with the fire walk with me, why don't you reintroduce yourself to our audience and let them know where they may know you from? Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Carrie. I live in New York. I uh, am an archival producer. I work 
for the PBS show Finding Your Roots, which is currently airing season nine. Um, we've got uh, Julia Roberts, Edward Norton, uh, Carol Burnett, Niecy Nash. It's a really good season. Um, it, you work on such a good season that it has... Like it has TikTok legs. You're producing yeah. TikTok legs content like the Edward Norton thing I've seen like 30 times because people are so excited about that. So that's – I mean it's amazing. Uh, yeah. So wh- this is uh, this is honestly my favorite thing that we do all year. Uh, and it, and it's, it, it's because it's a whole year project. It is something that I think about from the moment that we I start watching movies of a new year, knowing that I get a whole extra year to get back to it. And the other thing that we, – we talk about this every year. I think why – oh, by the way, where we love to watch a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies. We're not doing that today. We're doing uh, Best of 2021, the best movies of last year because, again, we like to take a year. We, we're not caught up by January. I'm – I actually, this is probably the first year in a while where I feel more caught up than ever. Um, maybe because we waited to January to to record, unlike <laughs> some years where we've done August or September. But I I love this like being able to go back and say, as everyone's talking about, you know, twenty twenty two movies or all the the recent stuff to go back and say, hey, what were all those movies I didn't get to? Because they can really, they, they can feel like sand in your hands at times. Like there's so many movies that people praise. And if you don't get to them, like I encourage you go back to like the D- Dissolve or AV Club's list of like 20 best movies of 2013. And you're going to find five movies high up on that list that you've forgotten existed. You're going to, if you have your own list that you keep, you're going to go and go, oh yeah, that movie. Because like there is like, there's these best of lists and these movies that people like myself put on uh, catch up lists. And then you just kind of move on to the next year and you keep going. And even stuff that you really loved or were always mean to catch up with just gets, uh, gets, I think, forgotten for recency stuff. You have more new stuff you need to catch up with. So I love this just as a way to go back, not just and highlight movies that we love that people have kind of, in, in some cases, moved on from talking about, but also gives us a chance to go and say, hey, what are all of your favorites and what are these critic lists that came out in 2021 and get a chance to kind of go back and do it. So this is my favorite thing we do. I'm so excited and uh, thrilled, Carrie, to have you back on for the for the third of many more uh, many more occasions for this. I, I'm so excited to be back for this, especially like as you're saying, it's a it's a good opportunity to go back and realize what you missed the first time. And also, you know, I was doing a lot of catch up around like Oscar season and that kind of thing. Yeah. And so like this has been a good opportunity to also go back and like revisit what has stuck with me from yeah. a year ago and being pleasantly surprised that a lot of things actually have. So yeah. it was a really strong year. Yeah, I also I did I did a little uh, revisiting on a few things because it had been a long time, especially if something came out like right before our cutoff, right or right after our cutoff, I should say. Um, it's been a long time, and I got to revisit some things, and I didn't knock anything off the list, but like I put a couple things into perspective. I was like, you know, on second or third glance, maybe not so much. And the idea is that like we can kind of avoid by avoiding the rush, um, we can avoid also the little rushed opinions. Um, that yeah, come with that, so. yes, because we're because we're first and foremost serious movie critics who take <laughs> the art form of criticism seriously and the last thing we would want is for people to think that this is off the cuff everything is scripted <laughs> everything i say 
everything everyone is this part scripted too uh peter asked me to cut it and i said no and you can i can see on my script right here there's all these x's and no's and said <laughs> i think you've made this joke before please stop you know all those sort of things but i'm doing it because it's in the script um oh, yeah. i think the other thing that helps too like there are movies that were on my like list that I created at the end of last year, which I usually do. I look at everything I watch and I kind of you know start that. What is what does that look like for various like polls and the dissolve or things like that? And there's like there were movies in my top thirty that I'm like I don't even remember what happens in that movie, <laughs> let alone like some stuff doesn't stick with you. And I think yeah. you know I think that doesn't mean that it's a bad movie, but as we've always said that even though we call this the best movies of of the year that we're, we're really trying to, I think, codify is what are our favorites? Like, what are the things that a year removed that we're looking going, I could watch that today or I can't, that's going to be something that I revisit over and over. Or, God, I got to pick up that 4k Blu-ray or whatever. So I can, you know, check it out again because I watched it streaming and it looked like shit or whatever. Like it's what has stuck with us. And I do think that gets challenging when you're making them right after seeing it because you, you have, I know I have recency bias where I see something go, that was amazing. Who cares about this piece of shit? And this gives us a little bit of a ch- chance to, not all the way because we're still watching some stuff for the first time as part of last minute catch up, but at least go and say, what are the things that like I am still thinking about or I've watched eight times and, and deserves to be on my list? So, uh, But yeah. with that, Oh, go ahead. I also think that so there's a there's a, a cliche about advertising and marketing um, that um, just because you're aware of it and just because you think it doesn't affect you, it actually it does. Um, the, the, you might be immune to some of the more basic stuff, mm-hmm. um, but at some point these things do get in your thoughts and it yeah. infect you. And it's the same way with hype cycles. It's the same way with the Oscar award season. Like. <clears throat> unless you fully locked yourself off from those things somehow, which I don't think is possible, you will start to think that movies are more important because a studio put a bunch of money behind them making you think they're important. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And a year later, you can be like... So you talked about in all the Oscar chats, right? Like, all those sort of things. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, and it's very easy to sort of get caught up in, like, the... Um, the 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 sweep the, the the hype and the sweep of motion uh, towards the Oscars uh, when in reality like you don't actually you don't actually have to um, but they it does happen um, yeah. so there were a bunch of movies that I caught up at the end of last year to like catch up for the Oscars and they're nowhere on my list I enjoyed them no. nowhere on my list mm-hmm. yeah there's there uh, uh, the, I feel like this is the year that I have the least amount of Oscar like nominated movies on my list. I actually think Peter's going to beat me this year, seeing an early cut of his list of like, like I feel like, and some of this is just having seen a lot of movies, which I'll get into here um, is like, I, I feel like it, you know, middle of the pack when you've watched 104 movies is still like four stars are really good but there's there's just so much other stuff that stayed with me in a way that like the thing that i watched like a nightmare alley or something just has not or whatever else even though nightmare alley is really good but i I have like i'm never gonna watch it again i it's not something i think about and on and on but anyways uh let's get started because we have a ton to go through uh as a quick reminder we're gonna we do reverse orders every year but carrie is always in the middle <laughs> or i said that too slow and too creepy and i just meant <laughs> um it's a, it's a carrie sandwich on dork bread <laughs> um 
Yeah. So, uh, and we're going to go with our two special menchies. Those are two movies that they're not our 16th and our 17th movie, but they are movies that we feel like, hey, not enough people talk about these or we want to highlight or whatever. Really, any reason we wanted to say this didn't make my 15, but I want to talk about it for some reason. Um, then we're going to do uh, our Ani menchies, which are just our 15 through 11. All, all we'll just rotate, go through. Not going to spend as much time talking about it as we do our top 10, but noting, hey, these were just on the cusp of our favorite movies. Then we're going to do our most hated or worst or whatever you want to call it, movie of the year. Uh, we don't. I think one year we saved that for the end, and that was a real big bummer after all the, <laughs> the hype. So we're going to get it out before we do our top 10. What did we fucking hate? And we did confirm that we're not allowed to keep saying Rise of Skywalker. So Peter and I have picked different movies this year legally because the rules that we're bound by by the podcast forum and then we're going to do 10 through 1 you you know how countdowns work I don't need to explain it it goes 10, 9, 8 you count up mm-hmm. technically it's a count up well, it's, it's, well, it's counting 10. down yeah because the numbers down. decrease no, no, interesting down. <laughs> see, see on my list <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so on my list, they're ordered. One is, is at the it? top. Hold on. So is on my list, like if you put list ten through one, like you go up. So I mean, but two is point. but two is more than one. Look, look. It's a. I, I don't even know. This is a marketplace. Of you're in algebra class. You're like. You're like. This is fascinating. It's really good stuff you got here. <laughs> there's, there's a friends joke where they're like, um, like. They're playing cards and they go, um, is 10 high or low? And he's like, high. And, they, and Joey says, why? And he goes, because it's higher than the other card. And I feel like I am now Joey. So this is going to be a great episode. All right. So let's start. I'll do my special matches first. Like I said, I, wa- I watched a lot. There was not that much that I feel like. There's a few on Carrie's list that I didn't get to that I know they were very positive on. And I... I don't know. Something about Bergman Island just made me very sleepy just as a title. And I know a lot of people like it. But every time I saw that poster, I'm like, I can't do it. Like, it's just too many movies. <laughs> I can't. So I, there's a couple. There's a couple. But, like, I really went and said, here are the 20 movies I absolutely need to see. Because I, I could like them. They could get up. And I got to all of them and more. So I feel really good about this year. Like I said, I think there's 100, 405 overall. Um, and, yeah. So my special menchies. In, in the spirit of a movie that earlier in the year was in my top 15, but then I watched too many good stuff, but is a movie that does not exist as far as I'm aware of. Like, every, people talked about it for a sliver when it came out, and now no one talks about it at all. And you probably uh, – I'm probably going to have to remind you what movie it is, but is fantastic and wonderful and hilarious, uh, which is Eric Andre's movie Bad Trip. Um <laughs> Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're I watched 15 minutes and then I I I, I could not handle anymore. <laughs> you gave up. <laughs> I, I gave up. But I also have an aversion to jackass and a lot of that stuff. I, my my social social pain kicked in. It I it's essentially if you don't know the plot, it's kind of like Bad Grandpa but good, where they are doing they they have a story that they're doing um, of getting you know going across the country and then doing Eric Andre. Not jackass, Eric Andre style pranks um, along the way. And it is like the characters work as characters. 
The movie is hilarious. And I like Eric Andre, I think, has the right kind of price where he's always the butt of the joke. Like it's not about, you know, and one of my favorite moments is like in the first 15 minutes where he he his prank is that he since he's doing a movie, he proposes or asks his girlfriend to marry him. And at this mall, there's this giant Broadway style musical number that erupts where everyone except like five people are sitting there. Not understand, you know, not knowing what's going on while like everyone acts like this is completely normal that people break out into song and start dancing. <clears throat> and it's it's wonderful. Like it, it feels like it has that kind of level of ingenuity and something that I haven't seen from these kind of prank movies in the past. And uh, it's it's wonderful. And everyone watched it or some people watched it when it came out and no one ever, ever, <laughs> ever talks about it again. So uh, if you haven't seen Bad Trip, it's on Netflix. It's fantastic. It's under 90 minutes. Love it so much. Uh, and then I really struggled with my last one because I feel like there's so many that I I absolutely love, like four, four and a half star movies that don't get talked enough and uh, t- talked about enough, like Till Death, the Megan Fox movie, or False Positive, or um, some of those other ones. But I'm actually going to land on a pretty recent one, which is Mandibles. I don't. I which, haven't heard of that. So, Mandibles is a movie by Quentin Duplu. Duplu, sure. This is, one, this, is the, this is the one time I can't correct you. Duplu? Duplu? It's L E U X. I think it's Duplu. I trust you. Don't, don't. You sound like you know what you're talking about. Don't, I don't know what I'm talking about. You need to, I, I need you to swirl. The amount of the amount of words I, I'm, I'm like the meme where like I learned tons of words from reading and I still have like I have to force myself to pronounce them right because I guessed and I guessed wrong constantly. So don't please don't trust me. It's fine. You're if, if you're pronouncing a French word, you're wrong no matter what because your surrounding words are not all in French and you didn't grow up in wine country in France. Yeah. Well, I should say mandibles itself is also known as mandibles. 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 I haven't seen the movies. So uh, this this guy made Deerskin and Rubber. Peter, I know you're a huge oh that guy. Deerskin okay. person. Yeah. Deerskin is Deerskin is is amazing. I'm I'm up and down in his movies. Like Wrong Cops, I think is really shitty, but Rubber is really fun. Like they're always hit or miss for me. I'm surprised I didn't get to this one though. It is it, well in 70 minutes, which is just like directly up your alley. But it is yeah. It's a I I actually had it on a Spooktober list, and finally someone was like, not a horror movie. I would still say it is kind of, and I because. It is about a very realistic giant fly, like giant the size of a big dog that they carry around. Um, they find and there's no explanation, uh, and they decide to train the fly and get rich. And also, uh, as they're getting chased by one of their schemes, they end up like this rich family mistakes one of the guys for a person that she dated in high school, and they let him stay there while they're trying to train this fly. It is like bizarre, hilarious. Like, it is just uh, – it's one of those movies that isn't like any other movie I've ever seen. And it really has that kind of low-key, like, energy where you don't even know what it's trying to do at first. And then you're like, okay, so I guess it's a comedy. And then pretty soon you're like, oh, my God, I love everything that's going to happen. And it has a great ending. I know it's on Hulu right now. Cannot recommend it enough. Short watch. Nice. Really good. Carrie. 70 minutes. You're up. Uh, my first Ani Menchi 
No, you're Speshy Speshy Menchie. God damn it. I'm so sorry. My first Speshy People confuse their Menchies. I always do. Doesn't stress us out. Um, This one, it's not that it's under-talked about, but I need to mention Annette because when I watched Annette, I didn't know the entire time when I was watching it if I loved it or hated it. (laughs) <laughs> the entire movie, I genuinely couldn't tell what emotion I was feeling. Um, it's a long movie, too. It is a it's a musical uh, with like uh, with like a doll, like a puppet who's Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard's child. Um, it's okay. bizarre. Uh, Sparks does the music. It's just like a deeply strange upsetting movie that the entire time I was watching it, I was like, this is the most disorienting, uncomfortable thing (laughs) I've ever experienced. And then when it was over, I was like, you know what? That was pretty great. I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt and say that that kept my attention. I'm still thinking about it now over a year later. Uh, It's great. Um, One of the few I didn't get to that I was like, especially after seeing the Sparks Brothers, yeah, and halfway through being convinced the Sparks Brothers was a fake band because I had never heard of them. <laughs> I know I hadn't heard of them either. I, no, oh, I think in twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one, Edgar Wright did a documentary about that. That's what I'm talking. Exactly, that's what it was the same sure. year that came yeah. out. The same year, yeah, yeah. Annette is a wild time. Um, so I'm glad I saw it. Did not make my list quite, but uh, it's a trip. Um, the other movie I want to mention is What She Said which is a it's a Thanksgiving holiday movie, a comedy about a group of friends who get together um, over the holidays and basically stage an intervention for this one girl who is dropping charges against her rapist. Um, it is a comedy. It's very <laughs> funny. It's very like it goes to places that I haven't seen a lot of these movies go. And it went completely under the radar. I think I read an interview with uh, the writers um, mm-hmm. just like somewhere online. And I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. I should check it out. And it was on Vudu. And uh, it's great. Um, no one, <laughs> hardly anyone I know saw it. Uh, but I it's it's. Just a nice story about real shit that like doesn't take itself too seriously, but is also very serious. So I recommend it. Awesome. Yeah, I I feel like I may have seen that on your list, which is why it sounds familiar at one point. But uh, yeah, I will definitely check that out. Yeah, it sounds hilarious. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you know, the kinds of things I find funny. (laughs) Yeah, sounds good. If yeah. you get the carry wreck. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's another there's another movie that I'm almost certain is on your list uh, that where I was like, it's a movie that takes place at a funeral. Like, I just I'm going to put this off. And then I and then I don't know why I put it off until yesterday. I really enjoyed it. Um, so typically we use uh, especially Menchie's as a way to cheat. Um, we don't actually. None of us cheated to. this year. Joke? Uh, Aaron, you you did do a couple like I oh I didn't mention I, I didn't, did some sidey menchies. <laughs> sidey menchies. Yeah, I didn't mention till death, but it's like you just did. You know. <laughs> um, uh, like you know, I'm not gonna mention I blame society in my special mentions, but I could have. Um, I'm actually gonna do a complete category fraud 
and name uh, two miniseries oh. that I think uh, are worth worth mentioning, specifically miniseries. Um, one is uh, Brand New Cherry Flavor, which is essentially Channel Zero Season 5. I've spent a lot of time on the show talking about how great Channel Zero is. Check it out. Um, it's actually way more widely available than when I first started talking about it. When it was only on like the sci-fi app or something. Um, Brand New Cherry Flavor is on Netflix. <clears throat> and then the other one is Station Eleven. Um, which is the most uplifting movie about a pandemic you're going to see. Um, it feels like an anti-version of The Last of Us, which is airing right now, um, where Last of Us very often, at least if it's following the games, uh, feels very much about like uh, the, the depths of, of human depravity and how that can affect the soul and, and break the soul. Uh, there's a lot of content about that. There's a lot of movies, a lot of books about that. <clears throat> Station Eleven is about how bad things can also bring out the best in people. Um, and it's about a pandemic as well. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people didn't watch it. Uh, the reason I want to call it too miniseries is this is the year where TV started being maybe not available as much because, uh, certain, um, what was the word? Um, greedy pieces of shit, um, stains on, on humanity decided that maybe, uh, getting a tax write off on TV shows was, uh, the way to go. If the TV show didn't perform, yep. it wasn't your next Game of Thrones or your next Adventure Time, maybe get rid of it. Um, and so this is a time I wanted to highlight two shows that like definitely did not do what Netflix and HBO respectively wanted them yeah. to do. Um, and for a minute I was like, is that kind of, is that kind of show going to start disappearing? Like they spent a bunch of money on this. Let's go write it off. Um, so definitely, uh, watch them now because apparently streaming is not a given. Uh, and then the, I'm uh, going to do more category fraud and just say Midnight Mass is the best thing that the best thing that he's done yet it's so it's really so good. so good i watched it with my wife who's not generally into horror stuff and she adored it midnight mass yeah so oh, love cool. i love midnight mass too yeah i'm just trying to so, think of examples where you're wrong <laughs> but that was a huge hit though that's not going anywhere netflix yeah. is going to cling to the mike flanagan stuff as, as what are you talking about he doesn't work watched. there anymore they canceled yeah. is that a joke <laughs> No, I'm saying they're going to cling to, like, keeping that stuff on the network because it's still Oh, it's yeah, but they did cancel the Midnight Hour 2, and now he's going to Prime Video. Yes, yes. Oh. Uh, but that one kind of underperformed compared to The Hill House and uh, the one coming out. Yeah. Uh, th those are your special menchies? We're done? Those are my special menchies. That's no it. special menchies. I think they were pretty special. Very special. Uh, all right. My Ani menchies, starting with number 15. This... I'm not going to list all the other movies that are under 15 on my list. We'll post the links. But I feel like I could easily name 20 movies under this. And I would say that they, they could easily be swapped in. I Maybe even swapped in for some of the top 10. There are so many good movies this year. This is probably, the I think, the hardest year where I feel like I'm leaving out some good ones. There's going to be items, I think, on both of your lists that i'm gonna be like oh that was amazing and it's like you know 15 or 16 or 16 or 17 or something but uh it was tough uh number 15 is red rocket which was one of my catch-up movies um i shouldn't be surprised that it made my list in that both of sean baker's other movies were high on my equivalent like tangerine Same. and florida project were i think in the top five of my movies i don't think this is quite as good as that and i was initially really like very not interested in this movie from like title and description like and 
because it, it it's a long movie and it really you have to kind of find this like scummy guy compelling because the movie is centered on him for the entirety of the movie and he is an asshole and like in in a thousand different ways I don't want to get into because I'm some of it's spoilers in in the movie <laughs> and like Sean Baker does such a good job of like somehow showing how these people. In that they don't always make movies about, or if they do, they're not you know, um, pop uh, all that popular. They don't get the kind of play. Like he has it. He or has a, movie, a way of just. If he was in a different movie, he'd be the villain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he he like finds this way to portray them in a way that doesn't shy away from what a scumbag in this case he is, but still makes him extraordinarily like compelling and in a way that like a lot of like, I don't, I hate this such an overused word, but like antihero that you're kind of rooting for him to figure things out and to get back on top and then going, I, I don't want this guy back on top. What were, what his version of on top is like, I, because you just are, are compelled by it and it still doesn't shy away from like a lot of times they do that in movies by showing the antihero like living a glamorous lifestyle or you picture yourself like in the and this like who wants to be this guy most people no. that would watch the movie do not yet you still are like god i kind of want him to succeed or get away with x y or z or or whatever else which i think is why it's so good um too many good there was no my number 14 is there was too many good horror movies uh, there's so many good horror movies I'm leaving out entirely and I feel terrible about it. So like, I feel like when I have a slot to a horror movie specifically, um, it's saying like these were above and beyond. Cause I, I watched a ton of horror movies this year. Like I do every year. So number 14 and 13 are both horror movies. One that I feel like got a lot of cool attention, uh, which is number 14, which is censor, um, which mm. is this great, like video nasty take on like, the the people that were responsible for UK censorship and is this great like I mean the eighties aesthetic VHS aesthetic for like this um, trippy horror film uh, that I absolutely loved and of course any I also feel like we overdo Spooktober so much that anytime a horror movie when when you're watching them in a sea of other horror movies like stands out that much it really is something special and I think Censor really did that and then a movie that I feel like has a very core group of evangelical uh, of evangelical people, but that most people went that sucked, which was the re- the remake of Candyman, uh, directed by Nia DaCosta. Oh, it was great. And that didn't make yeah, that didn't make my list either. That didn't make my list, but I really wish I could have fit it in. It was just it's really really, really good. It's, yeah, it's it's really even if I mean I include us as part of the this is a great movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had even forgotten that a lot of people didn't like it though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um. But a lot of people also thought Jordan Peele directed the movie, so... Yeah, valid. I'm just kidding. There's valid reasons to dislike this movie or find it frustrating or whatever. Yeah. I feel like the I feel like the just the swell of hate that like buried this movie when it came out really undermined the fact that it's a remarkably clever way to do a remake. Um, the way that it's scary is both evocative of the original yeah. movie, but also um, kind of finds a way to like... <laughs> systematize the scares of the original movie into a slasher formula that just really yeah. works. Yeah. Oh, and it is fun. very scary. It's very scary. <laughs> I, you know, I, again, I'm not trying to do the humble brag of like, I really get scared of movies, but that it's, I watch too many horror movies. I am completely desensitized and that movie freaked the fuck out of me. And that's, that Same. in and of yeah. itself is 
Um, and yeah, I mean, we did Candyman was one of our first episodes we did on this podcast. We love it so much. So, I mean, anytime you're doing a legacy sequel to something like that or quasi remake can be challenging and yeah, knocked out of the park. Yeah. Oh, and one uh, more note, uh, the score is so good. It's not as good as the original mm-hmm. Philip Glass score, but it's so good and so evocative and like really like pricks your ears up when you need to. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. I'm sure if someone sang over it, I would love it. Um, <laughs> I don't know if the episodes came out where that became a running joke or if that's a running text joke between Peter because my brain's broken, (laughs) Gary. So I don't know if you got that joke or not. It's fine. Um, Number 12 is a movie that almost needs no discussion, but it is fantastic, which is Dune. Uh, Yeah. uh, It's not like one of those movies where you're going, oh, this like the other version knocked it out of the park we don't need a remake as a matter of fact very famously no one really thinks that or i know some people think that i you know we we did dune on the show too it's david lynch it's great but dune's a very hard property to adapt if anyone who's ever seen the tv miniseries also just based on or even jordowski's dune where he tried to get it made like it's a huge book. At one point, I considered it my favorite book of all time when I – like in junior high, when I first read it, it just stood out from a lot of like the you know, other science fiction stuff I was reading at the time and was just amazed by it. And I, you know, I, I think that this adaption does it justice. I cannot wait for part two. Yeah. Um, and it does it in a way that like feels sparse as opposed to like um, the, the maximalism that I think – um, could easily be, you could take a future society and like try to interpret like I, I know like the sci-fi made for TV miniseries is not a good example but that is a movie that tried to hit all the special effects to show this futuristic world and if anything like I think the genius here is just showing how bare everything is to kind of match the planet like it's just yeah. empty concrete slabs and sand like nothing feels futuristic it just it feels like yeah it feels like a mining planet in a way yeah that like um, and where every everything good has been taken for sort of this so it's fantastic yeah, it's, and then oh go ahead it's way higher on my list so uh i'd like to do what we did last year and when someone mentions a movie just jump on it uh yeah. especially so our good friend carrie doesn't have to go to bed at 3 a.m um uh dune is uh what you just mentioned the, the sparseness of like the visuals and the, and the actual planet i feel like one of the great triumphs of that movie is that even though Dune is such a heavy universe and it's in, it's just filled with crazy lore that people love talking about, making memes yeah. online about, making jokes about it, and, um, and you're like, it feels doesn't really feel that that futuristic. And I was like, yeah, the Butlerian Jihad, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> obviously, Aaron, the Butlerian Jihad, they had to take their step back and go to more of a uh, a feudalistic uh, system. Um, there's just all this crazy lore involved yeah. in Dune. Um, and what I love about this, the adaptation is even though it does get a good amount of like world building in, Mm -hmm. it is not focused on being replicating the book. It is focused on telling the story to a cinematic audience and making you feel how you feel when you're reading Dune for the first time. You're kind of, you like Paul are like kind of swept out into this, into this world that you didn't want to be in in the first place. It's way, it's, 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 it's a harsh and can be very like, uh, hard to look at at times, but is like ultimately like a very like gorgeous movie it's a sci-fi triumph it's the sort of thing that like if part two works like it's the sort of movie that people are going to be talking about i think like decades from now if part two sucks then this movie is going to get buried in the sand but yeah um, (laughs) yeah 
I see what you did. You're very clever, Peter. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it wanes as the episode goes on. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. Uh, um, uh, yeah. Uh, my number 11, which is uh, a fantastic movie, and I wish we could have talked about it more, but unfortunately, uh, a carry wreck pushed it out of the 10th spot. So uh, it's going to have to sit here in the Ani Menchi zone. We'll find out what it is, what the number 10 is in a second. But for now, um, it is uh, my number 11, The Matrix Resurrections, uh, which I think is my favorite Matrix movie. Um, really? I think so. Yeah, I. I mean, I love the Matrix, um, and I love. Uh, I think. I think I've come around a lot on Reloaded. I've yet to see uh, Revolutions again, although I. I watched it a couple times. And I've never quite come around to it. I love. Uh, I, I like. I'm a sucker for those kind of like meta stuff when done really well, and yeah. the idea of like Lana Wachowski making a movie where. It's about how much she doesn't want to have to make a Matrix sequel and how lame of an idea or how bad of an idea a Matrix sequel is, especially like 20 years, you know, whatever, 20 years later. And that it is so good at all. Like it does that so well. Every surprise was good. How like I I just loved absolutely all of it. Um, And again, it just works because of time. If I showed if I show I like Matrix was one of the biggest things in the world in 1999 when I was in school yeah if if i showed the only way to experience i think matrix how good uh, matrix resurrections is is to just be the age you were when the matrix came out and all these other movies that you love came out and now seeing you know even good versions like Candyman, like we just talked about uh good versions being made again and just thinking like what is a matrix sequel 20 years later even look like at this point yeah. didn't like yeah. That, I mean, that's what the movie's about, and it's still somehow an amazing action movie with these emotional high points, with these fist-pumping-in-the-air moments. It's just a great reminder of, you know, we, we're doing Jupiter Ascending a couple weeks from now, which is a movie that, unfortunately, we, we didn't find to be, like, a secret gem in our revisit of it. But, like, this is what the Wachowski sisters always did so amazingly, which is, like, make these – philosophically character-rich blockbuster movies. And this is, like, the perfect example. I, I just think it's an absolutely amazing movie. Um, and I you know, I really did struggle to say whether it should be – where it should be on my list. I think ultimately uh, – this is a stupid reason maybe – the length is going to keep me from revisiting as much as some of the other ones. And, like, that's ultimately what it came down to uh, for me uh, on the list. But, yeah, I love Matrix Resurrections. Can't believe it was as good as it was. I forget if either of you have watched Sensate, but a really fun a really fun game to play when watching Matrix Resurrection is spot the Sensate actors, because there are a ton of them in bit parts throughout the movie, and the whole time I was watching it, it was like, oh, there they are! There they are! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Carrie, uh, you and I were talking about when, we, when the, the, the... This movie's not on my list, but uh, I really did like it, and it got close to being on my list. Um... Uh, Carrie, you and I were talking about when it came out that like it doesn't look like the previous ones because Bill Pope no. didn't come. No, back, and that was not the sort of filmmaking style that um, L- Lana directed this one, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is not the filmmaking style that Lana wanted. Uh, so Lana wanted something a little bit looser, a little bit more. Um, <clears throat> Like emotionally present, uh, not yeah. as cold, uh, not as cool 
And uh, it does feel like Sense8. And I didn't make that connection until uh, Carrie and I were talking about this. And and they made a really good point about, like, just the way the camera work works. Uh, it feels more like a Sense8 episode. So I feel like I, I watched the first season of Sense8 and liked it, but didn't didn't ever finish it. I feel like I, I'm, I'm owed that now. I got to go do that. It's it's yep. great. It's great. It's still on my list is the last thing by them that I have not not seen, despite liking most. I think yeah, I I think Peter, you're right. There is actually a lot of artistic overlap between the two. So if you like Resurrections, then that probably bodes well. Yeah. Gotta go see it. Carrie, you're up. Ani Menchies. Ani Menchies. My number fifteen is Pig. Which, when I look at it on the list, it's always one that I feel like should actually be in my top 10. And there are like a couple story points that bump it down for me. But Mm -hmm. it was like one of the best Nicolas Cage performances I've ever seen. I mean, this and this will come up, I think, a couple of times uh, in discussing this. But like this was one of the first movies I saw in a theater coming back to theaters Mm. and i think that is actually a big reason why this has stuck with me so much like getting to see a really gorgeous character drama again in a theater um which is just like seeing like the the power of the story coming out in that space when i hadn't gotten to do that in such a long time was just incredible um so that has really stuck with me a lot uh probably actually it's been a while since i've seen it so probably time to go back even um but yeah i mean i I didn't have i remember uh, i had that experience um with the 2021 movie it's it's a little lower on my list um uh paw patrol the movie actually i gotta tell you i had none of those feelings (laughs) (laughs) so i as a matter of fact i hated it it's really low on my list not my most hated movie but i'm glad yours was pig uh as opposed to, for example, Paw Patrol the movie. <laughs> we all we all have different things we gotta go see. I well, understand. Different things going on in our lives. <laughs> Again. Um, I yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I didn't. I this didn't make my cut either. But I'm glad that it's yeah. in your your Ani Menchi, so I have an excuse to talk about it. Um, I watched this movie and Writers of Justice uh, in the same night. And both of them are, like, touchy-feely subversions of the John Wick, like, revenge formula. Yeah. And, like, both, like, Riders of Justice is less directly so because it does have the action sequences. Pig is a movie that feels like it is directly trying to assess the damage of how many movies we watch about wronged, angry men going and smashing things. Um, every moment that Nicolas Cage doesn't smash something and instead sort of like tries to process things live on camera is a moment of magic. And I cannot, and like, especially this came out like right after Mandy, like within nine months, I think of, of Mandy, I cannot possibly imagine, um, (laughs) like watching this movie and then getting mad that Nicolas Cage was more interested in doing like a subtle, beautiful little performance about a hurt person uh when like you just got mandy you just got the awesome revenge movie like last year man yeah. like yeah I, take, did you know carrie did you know you get him. did you know that it wasn't john like did you have a sense that someone told you like because when i watched it i thought it was john wick with with a with nicholas cage and a pig and i was like 
I was like, okay, when is the, when's the, sl-? like, I watched it on a night where that's what I wanted. And I, I think I messaged you and I'm like, Man, this is like, not what I that, thought it was. was. I, it was definitely, it was great, but it was also like, I picked the wrong night to watch the, the sad crime Nicolas Cage movie. I wanted the, the action thing. So I was really surprised. I had no idea. I did know. I didn't know much about it, but I had seen people say, like, oh, this movie isn't what you think it's going to be, which made me more interested in seeing it. I, I, I mean, I like action movies, but I also like the quiet character drama kinds of movies. So when I heard that it was going to be more of that, that made me more inclined to seek it out. Um, yeah. But even then, there are so many turns that happen in the movie that I was yeah. still completely caught off guard by it. Yeah. yeah, I think it's. Uh, I gotta tell you, it didn't happen to me that. once in Paw Patrol the movie. <laughs> Everything I expect to happen happened. I do think it's one. Of, it's a movie that's spoiling that particular revelation is actually uh, good for audiences. Yeah, and uh, yeah. knowing that fact uh, can allow people to properly set their expectations. I'm not totally into this idea. Like you look at the cover on Hulu, and it looks like a, it looks like a movie where where Nicholas. I understand you're making an indie movie about a very hurt man going through a fucked up version of the Portland food scene to try and rescue his pig, like. That's not, like, necessarily going to sell tickets. Like, you also cast Nicolas Cage. Like, they knew what they were doing. Um, but, like, people knowing that, I feel like they'll have a more positive reaction. Uh, yeah. Which I did, yeah. because I went into it knowing that I was not going to get Nicolas Cage tearing a man's ha- head off with his bare hands. Yeah. Um, my number 14 is the first of the two Ryusuke Hamaguchi movies that will be discussed tonight, uh, <laughs> Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. Um, it's a, it's an anthology movie of three short stories, um, and the first two are really good, and, uh, the third I might like even more than Drive My Car. Um, <laughs> it's just like... One of the most uh, unexpected stories about two people meeting each other that I think I've ever seen. It's like a character dynamic that I have never come across before. And the way that they present it is just so uh, beautiful. Um, Yeah, it's uh, made a lot of good movies last year. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah C- carrie uh when, when carrie recommended uh that i watch that movie i like saw the cover and i saw it was like an anthology movie but it's like dr- like sort of melodrama things i was like i was like i don't know if this is for me but you know i i tr- I, I trust them this is this is my friend um <laughs> And I ended up being so immediately grasped by it. It's it's a very subtle, very delicate movie with you. But if you let it kind of get it, it's 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 um it's fangs into you. It's very very affecting. And the third one like made me like weep. It was it's just so like just beautiful and strange. It very much yeah. re- reminds me of. Um, I understand that um like his other movie is based on Haruki Murakami, but uh, I haven't read a lot of Japanese authors. Um, very much reminds me of that. Where like. Strange happenstance and people electing these strange sort of plans can um, create these like beautiful emotional moments for people and, and, and horrible, horrible uh, outcomes for people, uh, depending on how well they can cope with them. Yeah. Um, my 13 is Summer of Soul, um, which is 
probably not surprising that I love that because it is <laughs> one of the best uses of archival material I think I've seen in a very long time. Yeah. Um, it's a concert documentary about the Harlem Cultural Festival. Um, you're seeing performances that like I think the majority of the material is never before seen. There's some material that had been out in the world prior to this, but this is uh, the first time that a lot of it has been available and that it's all been in one place. And it is so immersive. It's so uh, you, you feel like you're really in it. Um, they did an amazing job putting it together. Yeah. 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 It's, it's my number 18. I, I loved it. Ba- barely missed the, the cut. Also, yeah. f- watched it the day uh, I came back from the hospital with my third kid. So oh. also really just sticks sticks in uh sticks in my head is like oh i'm gonna remember that movie like it's just one of those like i remember that forever too so it is such a celebratory movie it's kind of appropriate um beautiful movie i uh didn't quite make the the cutoff either but um uh, i just want to note that the the will smith slap thing was very annoying and the way people reacted it was very annoying but the part that i immediately like internalized and like it really made me fucking pissed was that that stepped all over Questlove accepting the award yeah. for yeah. that film. Stepped all over that moment and he had to, like, go up to the mic after all this, like, f- fucking foolishness was going on and, like, accept, accept something, like, a movie that's a celebration of, like, not just, like, black culture, but, like, Amer- like true American culture. Like, the the thing that, like, has driven musical movements since the thirties is like this particular moment in musical history when like, like the like gospel music was starting to, to merge with funk and soul music. And it like, uh, and you get to see the faces and like, getting to see Sly and the family stone actually perform is like really crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Crazy. The footage is incredible. Um, my number 12 is the movie that I feel like should have had way more Oscar buzz than it did, which is Passing. Um, Rebecca Hall's uh, directorial debut. Um, it is one of... It might be the best shot movie of 2021. Um, if, if not, it's very high up on the list. Um, it's absolutely stunning. Um, it's Tessa Thompson and Ruth Nega in a story about, um, you know, passing African American women, um, kind of like going through, uh, moving through different spaces and trying to sort out their relationship with each other and identity. And it's a really, really gorgeous story um, that also connects a bit to Rebecca Hall's personal life story that she found out more about on uh, Finding Your Roots, which is very funny. Um, well, so it's funny. Like, I, I, I learned about this from working on Finding Your Roots, but like, Rebecca Hall is like a British white lady and her mother is um, an American opera singer and came from a family where her father had like, there were all of these questions about his identity that she never got answers to. And she talks about like, there was a time when she was younger that someone gave her the book of passing saying like, you should read this. And she said that like, everything opened up for her and this was the moment that she started to like understand her history and then she did go on finding her roots it turns out that yes 
her grandfather was a passing black person. This is all what this is all of the stuff that she knew was inside of her that led to her making this movie. It's a really incredible movie. Um, and it was one that I was sort of, it feels like an Oscar movie, which I don't even, I don't mean that in a pejorative way. Like it just, but it feels like a movie that people would like get excited about in that kind of context. And no one did. So uh, I think that's a bummer. Um, and I wish that more people had been talking about it then. My number 11 is Summertime, which is a... I guess you would call it like spoken word. It's like uh, basically like a slam poetry style movie um, where it's all of these different vignettes of these spoken word poems um, throughout Los Angeles and these characters interacting with each other. I think the I think it was created by a bunch of artists who have worked together at a collective for a long time. Um, and it's basically telling the story of people in LA and the the different ways that paths cross um, through poetry and music. And uh, I didn't really know what to expect going into it. And it was it's like nothing else I've ever seen. It's just a beautiful way of storytelling. Um, and yeah, it's a it's a, it's a it's an interesting one. I, I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. Awesome! I gotta check this out. I'm looking at the looking at some screen grabs right now. It's so cool. Yeah, it, it was on my like extended list that I didn't get to when I looked when I saw your list. But uh, there's yeah, still time. I, you can still watch is, 2021 I mean, still movies after I'm not tonight. Deleting the list. <laughs> <laughs> Go back and uh, see. No, sorry. Unfortunately, <laughs> because we do this exercise, this is never going to happen again. No, I'm sorry. Doors the closed. End. Another um, year crossed off. <laughs> the arbitrary extension that we allowed is only for that one period of time. Sorry. <clears throat> um, awesome. So, uh, Ani Menchies, uh, 15. Spencer. Um, there's a lot of mixed reactions to this. There's sort of middling reactions to this. I don't particularly care about royals at all. Um, but I do particularly care about like these uh, horrific patriarchal systems destroying women from the inside. Like that's like it's a fascinating story, whether or not you give a shit about Princess Diana or know much of her, her, her history. I only really know her history from the You're Wrong About series. And that's kind of it. Um yeah, great. I mean, and Kristen Stewart does a great performance, too. She's fantastic. She's incredible. Yeah. I know pe some people complain about whether or not she got the accent right or she's too ticky or whatever. I usually have a problem with Kristen Stewart being too ticky. Um, but as she's gotten older and later in her career or whatever perspective you want to take on that, um, I think she's worked out a lot of the self-conscious tickiness and has yeah. become more of like a, a choice. Um, and then she wields it like a weapon in Crimes of the Future. Um, but in Spencer, it's it's um, it's it's her armor breaking apart. It's like chainmail breaking apart. Like she's she's it, you, her ticks are visible, uh, uh, visible signs of her nervous condition. Um, Carrie also recommended this movie to me. Uh, they were like that and Jackie are both kind of like horror movies that aren't horror yeah. movies, um, which is yeah. a good genre. Good genre. Yeah, 
It's another movie we're going to talk about later that's kind of that. And I feel like the thing that people miss about Spencer is that it's not a biopic. Like, it's not telling a faithful story about Princess Diana's life. And like, yes, there are many ways, there are many outfits that are faithfully recreated and stuff like that. But it, it says in the beginning that it's a fable and it is a, uh, it's like a mood piece about like, a period of time that we don't we don't know what would have happened during that particular Christmas visit. That isn't something that we have access to. So it's just about the idea of getting inside her head and the idea that people were so critical about how faithfully she was or wasn't performing. I was like, that's completely it's missing the point of what this movie is doing so well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful to look at. I saw a lot of people call it boring, and I was like, I've got a very limited attention span, and I was wrapped the whole time. Um, <clears throat> uh, 14. I don't know. You know, this probably should be higher, but, you know, here we are. Uh, VHS 94. Um, we, t- we talked all another, about Yeah, Asian. another just, just missed my top 15. I don't know why it's not my number three or whatever, but, you know, no. it's just a good year. Um I talked a lot about why I love this in our October special on the VHS movie, so I'll leave it at that. Um, 13, St. Maud. Um, as somebody who uh, grew up uh, in a, uh, in Catholic, um, I do very much like these stories about how you have to kind of, when you're growing up Catholic and you feel some sort of disparity between what you're being asked to do, or you grow up Christian in general or religious in general, um, you grow up with this disparity between what you're being asked to do and what like you actually are. Um, what you're capable of doing. Um, and you have to kind of meet the two in between and form this like blob of religion. Um, because nobody can actually adhere totally to the religious tenets and the dogma in front of you. Um, you can pretend you are, but you can, nobody can actually do that. And this movie is about how that can create actual like horrific metamorphosis in a, in a person. The idea that you're, you're kind of stuck between the reality of who you are and who you're being asked to be by a, a governing authority that claims to own your soul. Um, it's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty scary horror movie to me. Um, 12. This is one that actually got bumped down, but not bumped down out of the list is Nomadland. Um, mm. When I first saw it, I was like, this is, yeah, this is that was like one. your number one for a, while. For a long time. One. Yeah. Yeah. And then I bumped it down. And then you're like, Oh, it's not that good. <laughs> I, so was like, I was like, I was like, it's not a five star. It's actually like a four point oh. seven five five five. Repeating, got it. Um, it's, in, it's in like the eighties on my list. I don't like it. Yeah, I really, I really like this movie. But you don't like it anymore either. So now we can talk about yeah. it. <laughs> it's twelve. It's I know, but it's not. It's, it's a huge fall, though. Like if <laughs> you start at one and go to twelve, yeah, if you go to fifty um, to seventy, who cares? <laughs> one to twelve is like you big, coming to terms with the fact it's not that good of a movie. I no, that was there was that once I started revisiting this movie and a couple other on the list, I was like, yeah, I was yeah, like, all right, movie. some of the way that this touched me the first time, I sort of was blurred to some of the issues. I still find it to be a remarkable, uh, yeah. remarkable, remarkable performance. However, um, there's a different Francis McDormand. Uh, performance that i'm going to highlight higher on the list yeah. so um yeah uh it's a movie that I, I i think found particular uh purchase in me because i um during it's a great covid movie um this is about people that feel unmoored from everything and have to like just kind of get up and go and like literally like while i saw this movie i was like obsessed with like van life culture and really questioning like what my family future should be like my wife and i it's my wife and my dog and me and then maybe someday we have kids 
do we pick up everything and get the fuck out of town and go become like RV people, camper people? Um, what do we do? And this hit me at a very specific point in life. And now that I'm a little bit more settled into being a boring domestic person, I didn't quite have the same impact on Watch 2. Um, but um, but uh, still a beautiful film nonetheless. Um, and the, the uh, improvised non-performer performances are so good. Um, Eleven, sort of, along with the girl with all the gifts, sort of a unofficial, like, alternate universe version of The Last of Us. Um, it's about mushroom, white mushrooms are bad. Um, not the ones you take, um, but the, the ones that will, uh, eat, eat us eventually. Uh, Gaia is a horror movie. Oh, God, um, yeah, so good. It's Very a, close it's on a, my list. It's a hip, it's a hippie horror movie about uh, the Earth fighting back, but not just through like throwing mushroom people at us or whatever. Oh, it's cool. about the act, actual ways that the the Earth could communicate. Um, the actual ways that the Earth communicates with itself and forms these these beautiful networks. And it's a movie about us being invaders to this ecosystem um, because we've made ourselves invaders to that ecosystem. Um, so Gaia is a crazy awesome movie that I heard very, very little about, uh, and it creeps the shit out of me. Um, but yes, like I said, that and Girl With All the Gifts are kind of alternative universe versions of The Last of Us. So if you're still hungry for more of that show or that game, check these out. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Carrie, I think you would love Girl With All the Gifts. It's a cool it's, movie. Girl With All the Gifts is so great. That I one I've heard around. a little bit about. I would check that out. I've been banging the drum about that movie for a long time. <laughs> yeah, it never made my spooktober. We did like a, what was that, May? We did like a faux spooktober. Where we're spring like, cleaning. Spring cleaning, where we tried to watch like all these movies that have been on spooktober lists forever that we never we kept never getting to. And that was like the highlight probably of those two weeks that uh, we did that. Awesome. Aaron, what's next? Uh, it's what I fucking hate. Uh, it's the best <laughs> best part of the show. Uh, no, I, uh, yeah, talking about the movie we dislike the most. There's a lot that I, I mean, <laughs> I watched enough movies that I feel like there's a few that I have some ire for. Um, but then there's also some, like, number 87 on my list. As I look at it, it's like a movie I liked quite a lot. So, I mean, it, there's not, I, I didn't hate watch. I didn't watch all the blockbusters that i knew were going to be three stars and found the couple that i was like i hate this like i i I typically try to only watch movies that i'm interested in i was very close to putting the alpinist in this movie in this spot which is a documentary that i actually thought was a good documentary but i kind of hated the emotional manipulation that i didn't realize they were doing at the end until i read about it later and it kind of got me super annoyed so i kind of i i agree it with you they should have put the death up front as yeah. a given and let you view the man's life through that having yeah. it as a shock ending felt exploitative and i'm someone that three hold on three years later like i didn't know it was like i thought maybe this was recent news it was like three years later this comes movie out and they're doing like the suspense of like him de- it, it, it was it, it's uh i was i was very annoyed yeah, by yeah, yeah i was very annoyed at the alpinist as well it didn't it's not my worst of the year either because it's a i think it does tell his story well um it i'm does. someone that never thinks that stuff is exploitative um and i watched this and i was like come on man but i have movies seem more exploitative and i fucking hate it so much and i actually want to talk about how much i hate the director uh which who i didn't think i hated but this movie really put me on the side of like i i just dislike him i think it's pronounced uh well this is not that hard but rodney asher ashner i don't yeah, even know who this is the nightmare so he is a documentarian who did room 237 oh okay yeah that guy a movie i very much dislike yeah and the nightmare which i thought was a great concept that was just okay 
And then he did in 2021 a glitch in the Matrix, oh, which right. I despise. Uh, dis- like literally was like I think I was recording video clips and sending it to if not both of you to Peter and be like, are you like, are you fucking kidding? And I hate him because like, I think he got a lot of credit undeserved for room 2237, which I, again, I disagree with it. It was a very well-reviewed movie was this idea that like, so room 237 is about these like 15 people that believe crazy untrue things about the film, the shining, right? Where like that all, they believe all these secret, secret codes. The thing about Rodney Asher is that he's a, he's a very good, director he's a very good documentarian like everything looks really good he, he composes really good shots he's a very good craftsman who has has seems to have built a career now after three movies of having absolutely no perspective whatsoever which is fine somewhat like from a cultural perspective if you're doing room 237 yet like my problem with that movie when i saw it and i was so excited to see it because it got so well reviewed was like Okay, what am I supposed to feel about anything that's happening on screen? Yes, you've gathered 15 people that have wildly incorrect opinions of The Shining. Am I supposed to be convinced by some of them? Am I supposed to be laughing at them? Like, what What am I supposed to be feeling? And, like, I think some people, like, have, have, a, have a different take on that, which is, like um, – well, that's the whole point. Like he's he's not presenting with any commentary. He's presenting with no perspective. But he is. He's choosing people to talk to, and he's choosing people to say things that most people like. Mo- you're not meant to be convinced. I'm not saying a documentary has to con- be convinced you. I don't know. I think there's some like I think there's people that that took their own perspective away, which may be what he's trying to do around like, hey, isn't it weird how these people can watch this movie and get these different opinions from it? Look how movie culture is strange. But like. I don't I think I don't think it does that. I think it's just like laugh kind of laugh at these people with incorrect jokes, but we're gonna frame it very seriously and from a faux objective view. So but whatever. I, I didn't about- get that from Rune 237. Um, but I did with the the other movies you're talking about, I do get that. And I feel like it's reflecting back on Rune 237. No, I, I mean I was I hated that movie when it came out. So I, I want to be clear, that's yeah. not something where I've turned on Rune It's the only movie of his I've liked is Room 237. Yeah. I've disliked all of them pretty significantly but a glitch in the matrix i think takes it to a way that is like borderline criminal like there's a crime for like movie exploitation i think he should be in jail for it like it is a movie (laughs) where he is so instead of instead of like what you message on the shining he's interviewing people that believe simulation theory is true and, and, oh no. And again, it's presented in the same way. It's presented in here's what these people believe. And here's their evidence, which of course is not evidence because you can't have evidence of a thing that's not true. But then for the first time ever, he intersperses it with other commentators, like uh, not people that are being interviewed for it, but like cultural context, which is taking these scientists and Elon Musk, which has only gotten worse since the movie came out out of context of or like saying like here's them talking about if it was true so not only is he like doing the here's some cranks who believe simulation theory he's for the first time expanding it out to i think more cultural context and that cultural context is like kind of even more gross and then it turns into this whole other worse thing because these people are telling these stories that are like uh damaging and harmful because they are doing very toxic things and it it crowns on um 
like the part where I was like, like just went from absolutely like furious in a way few movies make me was there's this part where you're interviewing this guy who believed in simulation theory after he saw the matrix and he like he's you realize he's calling from jail and he's walking you through step by step how he killed his family because he thought that's what the matrix wanted to do and he's in jail for killing his entire family what and, yeah mm-hmm. and they're framing this as some sort of like he's framing this with like shots and letting this guy give all his defenses where like he's blaming the Wachowski sisters and like I I was it is like the most exploitative like again. The fact that someone in his life can go, this is so fucked up that you're putting it and you're doing all these – your other bullshit, your Rodney Asher bullshit in the movie in the same way is like infuriating. It's it's so bad and I like – this was where I was like he really – because I do think like he has a good visual style and his his documentaries look good and this was the movie where I'm like, oh, it's just all emptiness. Like he he maybe doesn't have a perspective and at best he is like – being the worst kind of like laugh at the freak show type thing, but while having some sort of artistic removal. And the thing is, is like, I actually think there's a movie that I love that I've watched over and over that actually does that frames this really well. Like we covered it on the show in a don't you dare episode, but um, behind the curve, the movie about flat earthers on Netflix is fantastic. Like it, it, it shows, it lets them talk, but it has this like, overall perspective of like trying to understand why people would believe something that is so obviously incorrect while treating the people in the movie with a lot of compassion for people that look these are clearly people who are curious about science and letting them run experiments and like making you feel like these are normal people who have somewhere like lost the thread into into what like actual facts and scientific inquiry and stuff like that is and like the more I see a movie like a Glitch in the Matrix, the more I have that much more respect for Behind the Curve that could have easily turned into laugh at the people that think the Earth is flat and somehow comes away with a – not just a compassionate take but a way of like if you are spending a lot of time laughing at them, that you are actually contributing to their problem of isolation and everything else that comes. And like this is more like, wow, these people believe some crazy stuff and did some crazy stuff, huh? Well, Elon Musk said they could be right, so – that's the movie. Like, uh, just fucking infuriating. I think that there are a lot of people, and it's it's disappointing that someone who has made multiple documentaries still apparently feels this way. Um, but I think that there are a lot of people who have an incorrect idea of documentary as something that is meant to be objective in a very cold way. And when I when I first started like studying documentary and getting excited about it when I was in college. I kind of had that approach and it took like it took watching a lot of other films to kind of get like, oh, no, you you do need to have an actual perspective. It's not a problem to put your own personality and your own ideas into a documentary. It's just that it needs to be clear that that's what you're doing. It needs to be clear that you are presenting this from you know, your perspective and that you have a a statement that you want to make about something. Um, So I think that there are people that feel like the ethical way to do documentary is just to put a camera in front of someone and not judge Mm -hmm. anything that they're saying. Um, But that's really wrong. (laughs) And just the very act of being like, I'm going to put a camera in front of you and I'm going to put you in a movie is a perspective, right? Yes. He's not not interviewing 10 random Shining fans and one of them thought the moon landing. He's seeking out people who 
think X or Y yeah. to talk to them. And then very specifically, not interviewing any voices that would lend perspective or counter the assertion. True objectivity yeah. can't that, exist in art. It's just not yeah. a thing. Yeah. yeah. And I think that you can get your, <clears throat> your point across, uh, your criticisms across in a way that is not made by narration or title cards or whatever. Like, yeah. Uh, Aaron, the documentary that we covered on the show, the Behind the Curve, the final shot of the movie is, in my mind, actually one of the greatest final shots. I don't think it's the greatest documentary of all time, but the final shot is actually, I think, one of the greatest final shots in all of documentary history. Yeah, I think about uh, it constantly. Uh, because <clears throat> uh, a bunch of flat earthers have tried to do a test. They spent a ton of money on this test. They run the test. Hold on. Actually, though... They, then they have a bunch of scientists who are hearing about the experiment and going, you know, that's actually a really good – like they're giving scientific context to this is a fantastic experiment and I'm interested what they're going to find because they are right that if this – if X or Y happens, it would mean the earth – is flat. Yeah. So it's a yeah, la- I mean, it's a laser tra- laser going yeah. from one point to another point, yeah. and it's a long enough. Di- they found a long enough distance that um, if it uh, appears at a certain point in the board, that would indicate you know the Earth is flat. Uh, but if it has a slight drop, or if it doesn't appear, you know the Earth is curved. Whatever. Um. So um they get to this they get to this thing and uh the the test proves that the earth is curved the laser is not showing up where it's supposed to um all their gear has been dialed in they spent all this money on this test and then the final shot is the guy looking at this board absolutely proving his life work his life conspiracy is a fraud and going all right let's uh let's let's work up another test and then the movie ends (laughs) yeah and it's it's that is like you can you can a, a documentarian can make a point about reality without putting their thumbs on the scales. You don't, it doesn't have to be Errol Morris getting in the guy's face, even though it's very fun. Um, it can be like, hey, the, the the point that I like, I I've reached a point in this documentary where if I keep showing you that these people just are never going to accept reality, and then we leave it on that that black screen of the credits they're like this is just gonna go on forever you can never like they'll never accept reality like i will make more of a point about flat earthers than i could say having fucking bill nye out here making fun of him yeah (laughs) yeah well and it's it's the other thing that i I think it's 100 percent right and that ending is great and that whole movie is great um but i also think like what's frustrating about rodney asher is that he makes i think he makes movies on subjects that i would be interested in like right like why do people believe in simulation theory why is that so popular i'd love to see some sort of expose or deep dive into that i think it's an interesting topic i think uh night terrors is an interesting topic about why do people, people share see. the same night terrors yeah, all around the world yeah. a, little, a little girl in sri lanka and yeah. a 65 year old man in alberta canada having the same nightmares is an yeah. interesting thing it's an interesting thing. i think uh the idea that that for some reason like there's this like toxic end of film conspiracy fans who find instead of just enjoying movies and enjoy the art, find like hidden messages and conspiracy. I think that's those are all interesting topics that I'm interested in seeing movies about, and I can't think of someone who picks better topics and makes the worst goddamn movies out of them. Like it's yeah. infuriating. Yeah, that's enough. I that's enough of my. I will not watch another Rodney Asher movie. I don't care what anyone says, but I uh, I hated this movie so much. And again, yeah. I think it's close to criminal. It sounds very bad. <laughs> Yeah, Sound, sounds bad. All right, Carrie, my friend. Uh, your worst of the year. I've been really excited to for this <laughs> moment because we've all talked about uh, kind of being on the same page about this one. Um, yes. I'm gonna name last night in Soho. Uh, I'm also gonna name last night in Soho. There we go together. Um, there we go, ho. 
So I will own the fact that I am not really a big Edgar Wright fan generally. Um, but I have been game to like continually give him a shot. Um, and mm-hmm. Baby Driver, I think I liked more than most of his movies. So I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I'm starting to get yeah. you or something. Um, that's my favorite of his movies. Yeah. Yeah. So then when, when I started seeing the, the ads for this, I was like, oh, okay, this seems like it could be kind of interesting. And wow, no. Uh, it has, it has rapist ghosts, the ghosts of all of the rapists who... The ghosts are doing the rape. It's like, I can't even begin. It's just the most irresponsible... But you gotta remember, fire beats rapist ghosts. (laughs) As long as you. Uh, Yeah, Aaron played... In North Dakota, they played a very weird version of Rock, Rock, Scissors, It's one of the most. A lot of people got suspended for doing the rapist ghost hand motion. <laughs> it's one of the most irresponsible movies I've ever seen about uh, the abuse of women and like, uh, yeah, just and, and and I'm newly like my my fire towards this movie has been reignited just today because. His new movie has been announced, which is basically taking like themes connected to this and taking it in even a stupider, worse direction. So he's just like <laughs> fully going all in and not understanding women in any way. And uh, that's just really depressing. Yeah. So when I heard I'm, I'm an Edgar Wright fan, I've been an Edgar Wright fan since uh, somebody showed me Shaun of the Dead when I was like 13. I think my brother and I rented it. Um, oh, we saw it in theaters, actually. Um, so that was a zombie movie nerd when I was in junior high. <clears throat> and um, yeah, I, I've been a fan of his since then. I've fallen off a little bit of being like erratically excited for everything. Um, a, a lot of that is because of last night. So um, it is a movie that so I think I think Carrie kind of, you know, pointed that like uh, the, the the social themes of the movie are pretty bad. Um, I'm actually going to point at like the technicals in the movie. It starts off so promising and so lush and pretty and the casting is so great. And you're like, I am with this girl. I want this girl to succeed. Yes. And then there's. And then there's these beautiful lush sequences of, you know, 60s like London. And you're like, oh, my God, this is going to be a great movie. What the fuck were people talking about? And then it spends about an hour and a half on Rapist Ghost. And here's my just on a more of like a horror movie technical side problem. Edgar Wright is actually very well suited to directing a giallo. Yeah. Um, he he under he understands like impressionistic filmmaking and how like a, a single shot of like a single object blown up uh, with a like a wide angle lens can like really like act as like a startling like moment right um, it can really be evocative uh, just showing an object that size and, and and doing these sequences that are just cutting and cutting and cutting uh, I, I think Edgar Wright is actually well suited to make like a kind of funny but still terrifying giallo and he utterly boofed it uh, the movie has eventually about it about a halfway boof th- <laughs> and boof about halfway through it um just it becomes essentially like a generic 2000 slasher with like CGI uh, rapist ghosts. Yep. And it's the sort of thing where if you like zo- zo- like zoom your eyes out a little bit and forget the like the social context, you still have a shitty movie. Yeah. Um, the there's it's utterly impactless as a, as a film after the first hour. Um, and the there's, ghosts there's, look terrible. 
The ghosts yeah. look They're so awful. ugly. And he used... He used it felt like a Woody Allen thing. Right? Like, man, they got rapist ghosts. And they look... And they look ugly. It looks like... Yeah, I want exactly. good-looking rapist ghosts. Yes. Ideally. Like, ideally, no rapist ghosts. You have to have rapist ghosts. Put a lot of effort into it. That's yes. all I'm saying. Uh, and they... Okay, so they... Um, they look terrible. It very much reminded me of the, they are the, the eye era or the or the the um the the grudge era when they would just have like these these uh remakes, these shitty remakes of great movies. Yeah. Um and like where they would just be like, Oh, well if you guys see like a shitty CGI ghost that has a vague outline of a face, you're gonna be terrified, right? Where I'm like, You're Edgar Wright, you worship film techniques of the past and you couldn't come up with like a cool ilm way to make this look good like it's not a movie that i can appreciate even on a technical side even if i don't agree with it as a a uh, social uh piece i disagree with it entirely as as any sort of statement on uh gender i hope for his sake uh that he wasn't trying to say anything (laughs) except for be nice to women um I hope for his sake that he just accidentally said a bunch of offensive things. Uh, but, like, it's also you can't, like, zoom your eyes out and just watch it as a horror movie because it sucks as a horror movie. It's just all over the place. I'm sure we'll talk about this on our 2022 episode, but, like, it, it does stand in good contrast to Men, which is a movie yeah. I, I really like. Me too. Um, and that was an awful use of Me Too, by the way. <laughs> um, but, you know. I Richard, also like the movie Men. <laughs> I don't like Men. I agree with I do not like the concept of men. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, but the. Dick. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe hopefully we watch it in a movie where it's not in our top 15. Uh, so we don't have to talk about it and we just talk about it now. But, uh, which is a movie where, like, its entire premise is like, man, men are scary. <laughs> and, like,. Yep, that's it. That's the, that's it. That's the premise, and you know it's a universal premise. Uh, if I were walking ar- alone at night and I'm not, uh, you know, I I and there's a, a guy standing there, I would also be scared because guys are weird and you never know when they're going to hurt you. Uh, yeah, and I'm not even a vulnerable uh, person inside. So that's that's all it has. And then it makes a horror movie out of that concept, except it's the same man. Like all men essentially are scary, and that's it. But it's not like I I think that movie is. I know some people disagree with this, and that's fine. But I actually think, like, that movie's just saying, I think that movie could exist 20 years ago, too, because its concepts still hold up. It's not trying to be deep. And you can make a criticism that you should be deeper in that. But it's only making an effective folk horror movie out of that concept, I think, and being alone in a cabin. Where this one is, like, I do feel like it's trying to say something important and whiffs it so hard. Is the wrong person at the wrong moment to try to make a statement about it? And if you close your eyes and go, uh... Uh, yeah, okay, the message didn't land. It's a fucking terrible movie. It's not so, good. It's like, it's just all the way around. Uh, really? Yeah. Matt, I was skeptical men of the is cons- at least the, the complexity of men that I, I like. And men has just enough complexity in it as a movie. And uh, one is that, like, it is a movie that's about the various ways that patriarchy can be yeah. terrifying. It's not just about, like, what if every man was a rapist? It's like, no, it's it's about the various ways that men can assert their authority, even if they don't realize it, uh, over a particular character who's been through through awful trauma that no one should have to live through. Um, <laughs> in Last Night in Soho, it's just like, it's like, all right, what if every man was a rapist? And some of those men happen to be ghosts. Yeah. Uh, and the ghosts, just because they've died doesn't mean they want to get out of the game, all right? They still want to be rapists, all right? Like, there's no yeah. complexity to it, but it's also just, like, any complexity that you can find is just um, yeah. 
em- this empty calories. Well, also, Rory Calhoun Gary, I can looks tell you're good. crying out to say something. Here, here, here's where he puts in the complexity, which makes it so much worse. And I know that we don't usually spoil movies and talk about the ending, but Fuck I will talk about the ending. Don't watch Last Night in Soho. Don't watch it. Um, it turns out that the woman who's been violated all of this time is actually the villain of the movie and tries to kill the main character in like the last 10 minutes. So the, the big bold statement that he's trying to make somehow ends up, somehow ends up being, you know, if you've been sexually abused enough times, you too will fuck someone else up. (laughs) Yeah. At the end of the day, who really is the villain? The, the rapist ghost or the person the ghost raped? Yeah. 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 Which, which, Carrie, <laughs> a movie that we both love very much, does have a similar theme. It's just good, which is Miss 45. Paw Patrol the movie? Miss 45 is so different. Miss 45, Miss 45, is, it critiques the rape revenge. And it does yes. it in a beautiful, thoughtful, genius way that Edgar Wright could never touch. I really hope he never tries to make a Ms. 45. That <laughs> yeah, would be a disaster. Horrible, horrible. horrible. <laughs> um, yes. So, um, we'd like to, as Aaron pointed out, we like to... Oh, we're to done. I forgot. Out. I was waiting for Peter to jump in, but he also yeah, hates that movie. same one. Yeah, we, uh, we like to bury our... Um, bury our, our hatred in the middle it was a nice uh just a, a sandwich of goodness um and so now we, we're on to our top tens well yeah we're were you guys ready to talk about the 10 best movies of 2021 let's do it i'm actually ready to talk about the the 10 to 30 best depending how much overlap we have <laughs> i think less than ever based on my All right, my number 10. Hold on. I need to go back because I am on my second page of Letterboxd. And I don't think Mortal Kombat is my 10. From what, I, from what I've heard, uh, the opposite. No, it's my it's my 101st. Um, my number 10 is a carry wreck. Uh that I, I like, I love this movie, and um, and I'm I'm really making sure I pronounce it right, because in my head the whole time, I kept saying a different way to say the first word, and then when I saw the movie, I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. Carrie, why don't you take a crack at the title just for Aaron? No, sake. no, no, it's <laughs> it's Shiva Baby, right? Yes. You did great. In my head, because I'm terrible. In my head, I was like, before I saw the movie, I was like. It's Shiva, Shiva baby. yeah, like, oh, Shiva's a different thing. Whenever Aaron yeah, really ramps, whenever Aaron really ramps up, how bad he's going to mispronounce something, he ends up doing. I knew. Okay, so I was clarifying that I didn't know how to say it, and also owning my own internal. Yeah. Like, oh my god, they say it enough times in the movie, though. I well, I know. I figured yeah. out very quickly. Yeah, it's basically <laughs> cheating. Uh, but sh- <laughs> yeah, but they say you, you listen to the character steady song. They can't stop saying "hold steady" <laughs> during it. Uh yeah, but uh Rachel Sanat. God, I'm really second guessing myself on every word. I've been saying Sanat, but like I don't, I don't actually know. I haven't heard of. I saw, I actually saw her interviewed on. uh, I think Jimmy was who's the person she was. Did any of you guys see the uh, viral interview where she 
maybe it was Seth. I think it might be Seth Meyers, where she went on Seth Meyers show and said that her first blowjob she ever gave was to a PA on the yes. Seth Meyers show because she had such a big crush on Seth Meyers that she's like, "This will be my first ever like sexual experience. Will be if I could do something with a staffer on the Seth Meyers." Yes, show. amazing. Um, I loved her in Bodies, Bodies too. Like she she's is going so to be funny. Like, she's so good in a movie that's just kind of okay. Um, but. She's going to become like she is a movie star. She is everything she said I'm gonna see based on this movie. This movie, I said it was like the first movie I watched after Spooktober and I messaged Carrie and I was like, Oh, finally a non horror movie and they were like <laughs> Just you wait. Still a horror movie. Just and like wait. twenty minutes in I was like, you know, rubbing my I was like so stressed out by this movie, but it was funny and stressful and oh my god, this movie is so good. I love it to death. It did block b- bump out matrix resurrections but it is fantastic and i love it and i'm sure it will not be the last time we talk about it. <laughs> it well it is it is also my number 10 so this is this is so this is beautiful symmetry um it's uh yeah i it's been funny to like talk about it with jewish people and then talk about it with gentiles um <laughs> because i get a lot of the like oh my god this movie is so stressful this movie is freaking me out and like i yeah it it is stressful but also like i i think a lot of people who grew up in like similar situations that i did are just kind of like oh yeah no this is just what it is this is just like going to an event with your extended family like this is extremely normal all, all of your familial experiences are across between uncut jams and- <laughs> yeah yeah it's just 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 pitch perfect yeah. no yeah. shiva baby is just like it, it 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 nails the uncomfortability of being around people that you don't see except at like weddings and funerals mm-hmm. and yeah. like the forced conversations and needing to repeat the same things about yourself so many times which you don't want to do because there are lots of things going on that you don't want everyone to know about which is certainly the case for this mm-hmm. character and it it's yeah, the, the the tension is perfect and it's so funny. Like it it could go in a very uh intense dramatic direction and it just keeps everything so like believably absurd that the the levity is always there. Um and it's yeah. and it ends up actually being a really sweet story about ex girlfriends who reconnect and yeah yeah I found that just really nice yeah it's a movie that's very yeah. much about like vulnerability and the things that may- specifically will make you vulnerable in a way that like I I don't think is very um, well observed uh, in other movies um, and I do I watched it last night um, the uh, piece that I really enjoyed um, in as a viewer was. <clears throat> Um, the, those moments when it's very funny, but I feel bad laughing because I feel like I'm laughing at her and I'm like, she's got enough on her plate. She doesn't need me laughing at her, but the movie's not making fun of her. The movie has an intense, unending font of, of, of sympathy for her. Um, but, uh, the, uh, there, there are moments in the movie where I was like, like, you gotta get out of that room. Um. There is there is yeah. got to be a name for like horror melodramas where like nothing nobody gets stabbed there's no monster but like 
it feels like a horror movie because of the the way that it plays with your anxiety and the way it just keeps yeah it's like the celebration it keeps turning up the gas the one that i can think of which is i guess more of like a a a goya equivalent uh is uh krisha um it came out uh, a few years ago i've Um, been meaning to see that i've actually seen these two movies compared a lot yeah and it's not in a way that like i think is like one-to-one but it does kind of krisha does kind of play as a um a a goy alternative to it because like uh uh, the the way that people apply pressure to each other and the way that people pretend to know each other better just because like you've known each other for 20 years but like you don't get lunch they don't know what's going on with your life they don't know who you're dating really like they don't really care what you're doing for college. They just want you to say the correct answer. Like that kind of socialization is very complex. And I uh, like movies that tackle it in the way that I feel when I'm in those situations, um, which is um, uh, literally doing anything to get out of them. Yeah. I also think it really captures something extraordinarily specific that I personally relate to of like the feeling that you're around people that are your age or close that, from a societal structure sense have gotten their shit together more and like how stressful that is like you know like i mean i you know i didn't i didn't meet shauna till i was my wife till i was like 29 and then you know we had maya when i was 31 and you know i i took well to domesticity but before that you know i lived alone and i had friends and you know the occasional girlfriend but nothing too serious besides a couple you know in my earlier 20s and like you would you would go back and like see friends like when you're 26 and they're like or you know or on facebook and just or whatever it was and like oh we're welcoming our second kids like oh cool i slept till one <laughs> on it saturday is, and then played video it's games. particularly like, funny in the midwest for, because like there are people that like people get married they really get out of college and they start yeah. making babies yeah yeah and so like yeah so i mean i you whether it's like old high school facebook friends or other things like you just sometimes have that stress of like not that like they're doing it right and you're doing it wrong but this the societal pressure of like oh am i am i fucked (laughs) like it sometimes feels bad and like that that there's a lot of those moments and this movie is also very good though at noting that a lot of those people don't actually have their shit together they put on a good you know they have the same problems that anyone yeah. else in the same doubts absolutely other things that i this movie captures that really yeah well. absolutely yeah. all right peter my number 10 What's your number 10 is the vigil which i feel like it's kind of funny correlating um the vigil's so good vigil's so good um yeah, great. It, it was a movie that really helped remind me why i like movies in general and why i like to watch movies from all around the world and from different budget levels and that's that um Ultimately, like, I want to hear stories from different people that are different than me, um, people that have had different experiences than me. Um, and this one is uh, someone who's had a very different life than I've had and lives a very, currently lives a very different life. And sort of the myths behind um, sort of uh, Jewish folklore uh, are something that I'm not super familiar with. Um, I think that like, I, you know, you get exposed to some of the stuff through movies, but uh, it's not something that I was taught as, as a child or, or was played with. Uh, and, and the vigil felt like it was a starting point for going back and reading about like actual, like the actual basis behind, um, these myths and like spending some time talking to Carrie, like both of us laughing at the concept. It was the Dybbuk box that like stupid myth that was going around the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we talked a lot about this for a period of time after I watched this movie because I just got very interested in like what 
what are the what is the purpose of these stories? Why are these stories? How common are these stories? Do people actually believe them and teach them children, or is this just sort of like a piece a piece of fun? Um, and uh, the visual certainly is a piece of fun because it ter- it terrified me. I was so yeah. freaked out by that movie. Yeah. And uh, the the storytelling that they the, the way that they develop the main character, a man racked with guilt. Uh, because he's escaped something that the the amount of control that they have over his his life, his livelihood, the amount of money that he can bring in, um, where he can bring in his money, the level of control that they have over his dating life, it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a complex it's a complex movie about um, somebody who's been damaged um, by the way that he was raised, um, but also it's a movie about like people that are like they they do exist. No, totally. I mean, this is this is my number nine. Um, and I have to say that it's so funny to talk about both of these movies back to back, not just because <laughs> they're the two Jewy movies, but they're also the two Fred Melamed movies. And the Fred Sigh Melamed, the Fred Melamed scene in the vigil scared the crap out of me. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's so, so it's so upsetting. It's, it's so terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Um, He's Cy Abelman as a king. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's only two ways to put it. All right. I, yeah. I, my family would be lucky if Cyberman took my wife. Okay. Um, exposed to Cyberman? Come on. Uh, I also did not learn about Jewish demonology growing up, which I have to say was a real missed opportunity of my upbringing. And I'm really glad that now people are making these horror movies. Um, no, I think you're right, though. Like, There is a lot. So I don't know a lot about the um, folklore elements that are explored in the vigil, but I do know a bit more about the uh, the the things that people go through when they're leaving Hasidic communities. Um, I've watched other films about this. I have known people who were raised in those environments who became secularized as they were older um, or or we're still identify as Jewish, but in a less intense way. Um, and the, I forget if it's the, if it's the actual first scene of the movie, but like towards the beginning of the movie is a scene of a bunch of people who used to be in an ultra Orthodox community kind of having like, a like a support group interaction where they're mm-hmm. talking about like acclimating to secular life and like that is a very real thing that definitely happens that like I've heard people describe um there are organizations particularly in New York that help people figure out how to get jobs how to le- how to speak English because a lot of people grow up in Yiddish speaking only households um and like they don't know how to function in just uh, secular society so seeing that right off the bat as like the intro to this made me realize like, oh, this movie has done its homework. This movie actually knows what it's talking about and is going to be presenting this in a pretty authentic way. Um, And then I read some interviews of the director afterwards. And yeah, like they had, they had, I think actually some of the cast members um, are Orthodox or grew up Orthodox and, uh, were also advising on set. And so there's a lot um, in every aspect of the film, from the production design to the story development to dialogue, that is very, very genuine. Um, 
and we just don't the the specific sort of uh, accent too is is very evocative to having to adapt to secular life even by like the language and the terminology that he uses yeah fascinating yeah exactly like when you grow up speaking you only grow up speaking yiddish and then all of a sudden you know that actually that you still maintain some of that effect in how you speak and like we don't you know, horror otherwise, like this isn't a topic that's really explored in a lot of film. Um, and particularly to get a genre film out of this is so cool. Um, I've always kind of wished that there was more Jewish horror because I feel like there is such great potential for it. And so getting to see this was really exciting. Um, yeah. And it is actually very, very scary. It is. It's I mean, the, the part you're talking about is this, I think this the scariest moment of any movie it's a little bit lower on my list but it again it's it's more just because the amount of great horror movies that came out in 2021 this this if i was going to do a top 10 horror movies this would easily be on it because yeah that moment's terrifying yeah Uh, Yeah. especially if you're watching it on a projector in your basement alone (laughs) midnight freaky um all right my number nine moving away from jewish cinema Waspy, so, uh, with Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Yes, <laughs> which is a movie I it was in my catch-up list. I like people kept saying it was funny, and I think Kristen Wiig as a person is fantastic, and she's very good actress. I'm always skeptical when she's playing what looks like a Saturday Night Live character because I found her mostly insufferable on Saturday Night Live. And that's not necessarily her fault. That's just kind of the nature of Saturday Night Live. She had some characters that weren't weren't not funny, but like they all had a specific like, I don't know, like tenor of like whether it's the target lady or stuff like that. And they just yeah. they were they were the quintessential like same joke. The joke wasn't that funny in the first place. So I've always liked her outside of Saturday Night Live quite a lot. And I think she's like I love her in the Ghostbusters uh, remake and, and many uh, what's that what's that movie with Bill Hader that she did that I really the Skeleton remember? Twins Skeleton Twins which yeah. is great and stuff like that like and she seems like incredibly genuine for for a movie star and stuff like that seeing this mode I was like fuck this is gonna be not so good and despite people saying oh my god like it is like an Austin like they don't make movies like this anymore and it's funny throughout and it's just insane and it's absurdism in a way like that feels like a, a throwback but also just feels fresh too uh with these two like absolutely lovable main characters i was still like yeah but is she doing a voice through the- <laughs> i've seen the trailers and i was like one over in 15 minutes it is one of the funniest movies definitely one of, easily one of the funniest studio comedies that has come out in the last uh, 10 years it really is a they don't make them like this anymore movie and it like features that level of like random absurdism that i feel like uh we've moved away from from a comedy culture to more uh like uh, you know tim and eric type anti-comedy stuff and just like the incredible joyous goofiness in this movie including the entire like subplot of the villain feels like something like a like a 1997 like fan the best comedy of 1997 and i i love it this was going to be one of my special menchies until i saw that it was on your list um because it is the movie that has most i think it is the movie i have 
rewatched the most from 2021 um yeah. and it is the movie that has risen in my esteem the most where the first time i watched it i was like okay that was fun it was super weird i laughed yeah. a lot i don't know you know what if i'll keep thinking about this after a while yeah. it has i've watched it three or four times at this point um it's a blast to watch with people who have never seen it because it's yeah. also it's a really weird movie like very weird i i sat down we were like uh, we had a friend over who was testing out um a media server system that she has and we were just like oh let's go let's see what this looks like and so i just put on barb and star just to see what it looked like and a lot of pastels uh, yeah and and in the f the first 10 minutes of the movie is just completely fucking wild and my friend had never seen it before and so I was just like putting on the beginning for laughs and then yeah. she was watching and she was like, what the hell is this movie? And we sat down and watched the entire thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, uh, now, oh, those, now you have to see it. <laughs> those first, those first, that first scene of the movie, even I was like, wait, what the fuck is yeah. this movie? Like, is this, I, I was, I kept expecting a dream sequence. And yeah. It's not, a, it's like the plot. Uh, it's wonderful. There are there are lines in this movie that keep coming back up for me. Like I was, uh, we were watching uh, Devil in the Blue Dress the other week, and uh, when he came on screen, I was like, "Oh, there's Don Cheadle." <laughs> <laughs> like there's so many yeah. genius moments that like yeah. have not left my brain, and also. Um, Thank goodness someone let Jamie Dornan have fun in a movie. Yeah. yeah. For no the kidding. first yeah. time. He, he's, gr he's great. He's too. great. I also, a movie that I don't think will be coming up much on this episode is Belfast, um, which was his other film from last year that I watched no, at the no, Oscar no, time. It's not great. It's not great. That was, that was, a, that was a hard <laughs> Oscar skip for me. <laughs> it's not great. Um, and like, he's a he's a talented guy, but he keeps... Being in these movies where, like, he is just very, like, dour and he doesn't get to do anything fun. And this movie, he gets to sing a song about seagulls on a tire and he gets to talk about how he wants to be an official couple with his supervillain love interest. Yeah. And it's he's just hilarious and, like, it's sexy yeah. and funny and, yeah. Look, we don't need a telethon for it, but I do think we need to raise more awareness that handsome people can be funny. Absolutely. <laughs> there's, there's way too many, like, uh, th that's the, uh, fuck, why am I thinking of his name? Ryan, uh, oh, no, Colin Farrell. I don't know why I'm thinking Ryan. Um, that's the Colin Farrell thing, right? Like, he, they, he was starring in, like, The Recruit and all these other intense things. And when they let him cut loose and tell jokes, it's like, oh, now everyone likes him. Like, yeah. let yeah. handsome people be funny. Handsome people can be very funny. Yeah. yeah. As, as someone who, who didn't love the movie, like, that much, um, it was, it, it, I liked it okay. <clears throat> there was, like, so much to admire about the movie. And I was like, I didn't really like that that much, but give me more like that. Like, yeah. I just, just give me more movies that are at that level of silliness. I love the sweetness. I love the lightness of touch that it has with like, um, like, you know, uh, if we, if we, if we zigged right now, um, this could like really drag the pacing down and really be boring and be like a whole dramatic thing we have to deal with. But if we zag, people will just like, 
um, Barb and, St- Barb and Star more and like love their friendship more. <clears throat> and like anytime the movie subverted your expectations that these two were going to like turn on each other and be cutthroat. Um, <laughs> instead, like they just leaned in harder. Um, I think they have a three way, right? Isn't yes. Yeah. Points? Yeah. In, like um, in the first half hour of the movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes. Um, I, I, like they I just do lean think... in harder on like, I'm like, all right, well, let's just let's just roll with the punches in a yeah. way that is like, I, I wish more comedies would embrace the fact that like, hey, like we don't actually need to like build dramatic stakes behind this. We don't need to have find out if. I don't know. Somebody's going to like lose their baby or whatever. Like nothing. We don't need to do the Judd Apatow thing. We also don't have to completely abandon the planet like with the Tim and Eric style thing. Like we can have a movie that takes place on Earth kind of looks like a normal movie you've seen before, but just embraces silliness. Yeah. Yeah. I also just I mean, it's it's, I I talk about on the show all the time. It's. A movie that embraces the idea that, oh, we're a movie. We can do whatever we want. We don't have to stay grounded to anything if we don't want to is usually going to appeal to me. And sometimes that's done well in like comedy. It's comedy. Sometimes it's horror movies. I mean, Go K being a great example or um, many other movies. That's like, yeah, you can just do whatever you want. It's a movie. (laughs) You you are not bound by any rules if you don't want to be. And and Barb and Star really, really leans into that in a way, in an amazing way. Uh, Carrie, I think we... We did your number nine. Yep. The village. Yep. Okay. Uh, so, my number nine is Drive My Car. Uh, earlier, when you were talking about Pig a little bit, I described it as like a movie that like it's kind of the reason it works is through subversion. Like you expect Nicolas Cage to start screaming and smashing plates and smashing faces and tearing off faces and hitting faces and tearing off the face and then hitting the face and then putting the face back on so he can hit it on the skull. <clears throat> um, you expect a lot of that. Um Drive My Car is obviously does not set it up itself as, as a genre thriller, um, but it is a movie that is fascinating in the human psychology of it, um, that it is ostensibly set up as a movie that is about uh, a man's betra- uh, man being betrayed or his trust being betrayed. And um, you're like, oh, this can be a movie about him just spiraling into depression. But instead, the movie, there's a tweak on that formula. And then it's a movie about a man trying to find context for the relationship that he had. Um, instead of just leaning into anger and rage and possession uh, over his, his his wife, he leans into like... Um, something far more complex and interesting and human. And when the, that moment finally lands, it lands like a bomb. It lands like a, like, a, like, uh, finding out who the killer is in a movie. Like it's, it's, it lands like, um, like a dramatic reveal, like you've, you've never had before. And some of that is, is the length of the movie, but like once that happens also, the movie has so much more to tell. You want to spend more time with him. You want to see him continue to heal and process and become the person he's supposed to be after suffering a great loss. Um, beautiful movie, absolutely gorgeous movie. It's one of those movies that I was like, a three-hour movie about a guy getting cheated on. Do we? This is what we need, men. Why not make it four? (laughs) I watched it. I was like, could have been four. Uh, yeah this this movie uh is higher up on my list, but I want to say um one of the reasons that it has, I think, even risen for me over time is in between. So I've watched it twice in between. My first and second viewings, I read the Murakami short story collection um, that the Drive My Car short story is from. And also uh, there's another short story that draws a lot of that the film adaptation draws a lot of material from. Um, And I don't 
often like look to source material for adaptations to to get a sense of how well the film is doing. Um, but for this one, I'm really glad I did because it is a really impressive adaptation. The way that uh, he draws from multiple stories in this collection in order to flesh out the world and uh, these characters. Um, and then also bringing in everything about theater. Um, I am a huge theater nerd, and I wasn't familiar with Uncle Vanya before. I should say, I was. I knew I was going to watch this, and then someone advised me, watch a production of Uncle Vanya before you see the movie. So I watched Vanya on 42nd Street, um, which is... If you have never experienced Uncle Vanya, that's actually a really good way to. Um, it's a Wallace Shawn movie that yeah. it's, it's just like a very stripped down full yep. adaptation. Yeah. Um, and having that context going into Drive My Car was great. And it was really helpful to uh, even better understand a lot of how a lot of the emotional beats are emphasized by Chekhov. And how, like, these texts are weaving in and out of each other. Um, yeah, it's it's also... It's one of, one of the more powerful grief movies, too, that I've seen in a while. That, you know, exploring, exploring loss and exploring memory and uh, not having it be this overpowering thing that is destroying you but something that's also not never leaving you something that uh it, it's always it's always in the back of your head and you have to just learn to live with it and i feel like a lot of this movie is learning how to live with that kind of loss um and it does it in such a beautiful way yeah i need to i need to read more murakami i think i've only read uh after the quake which is one of those collections and then i read i think i read wind up bird chronicle to like fully uh like <clears throat> 10 years ago but um i've got to read the stories based on men men without women is fantastic it was the first murakami i ever read um and it really blew me away um yeah yeah and and particularly like with the context of drive my car like it's like the short story is great and then the film is great and so it's just wonderful to have like both of these very different tellings of the same story just out there in the world and they're both wonderful yeah absolutely um all right we're on to number eight right number eight yeah uh i did see drive my car and i did not uh, it, it was a movie that fit that kind of oh that's a beautiful movie I, it's yeah. also very sad and i it's not it didn't connect with me the way that i wanted it to so like valid and i i get it like the problem with a movie like that is like if it doesn't connect you emotionally or, or from that sort of level it, it's like oh that was beautiful and gut-wrenching and very well made and i'm never gonna watch it again and so like that that's kind of where i felt with with drive my car and i think even some other ones that are like were really and, and maybe it was just the time i watched them like i kind of feel that way with the power of of, of the dog mm-hmm. the power of the dog um hey that's my like, number eight <laughs> okay well sorry um I, where i don't know maybe it's just the time that i watched all these uh, and some of it is too like i think one of the challenge of watching uh we we i think we've talked about this before of like when you do the oscar catch-up and there's a lot of like similar like kind of these sad traumatic 
films that are getting Oscar nomination, you watch three or four of those back to back, you just kind of like, oh man, more bad things happened. <laughs> uh, you know, it kind of is just bumming me out and stuff like that. And, and so it, it sometimes misses you uh, emotionally. And so I don't know, maybe if I watched it now, I'd feel differently, but uh, I thought it was a fantastically made acted movie that I just did not care for as much as you guys did. Just, did your review of Drive My Car missed me with that Murakami? <laughs> yeah. I think so. You did say missed me. You kind of missed me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. It's not a letterbox ready review, but uh, I'm working on it. Uh, my number, number eight, eight. Uh, speaking of dealing with uh, tra- past trauma, my number eight is Malignant. Uh, oh, fun. Uh, which is uh, one of... I. This is my last, well, kind of, sort of, no, it's not my last one movie on the list. Um, But definitely one of the best times I had. It was uh, a highlight of Spooktober 2021 for me, which was was filled with with great movies. Uh, This, you know, it it almost serves a little bit like a, um, you know, the same thing I was saying about Barb and Star. Like, movies can do whatever you want. Uh, And I do feel like James Wan has a sense of that. I, I love his Aquaman adaptation, which is like the core character of Aquaman is entirely uninteresting. And I don't think James Wan cares at all. I think he's more focused on let's make it a really crazy world. And here's how all the society works. And let's just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, and I really enjoy it for the, for those reasons. And I think this is him kind of coming back to like that middle budget saw studio horror movie, with $30 million budget. And, and, really thinking of a premise that is uh, unexpected and then takes a third act turn almost into a action movie with almost something like out of a Frank uh, uh, Leonard uh, movie. Yeah. I, I absolutely loved it. It's, it's, I, I, it's a horror movie that remembers that you can be like a sort of big budget bombastic and have a lot of fun, uh, which also like even though I like a lot of these movies really contrasts well with what we're seeing a lot with indie horror right now, which is very like, you know, subdued and really character focused and, and, and sometimes very slow moving Gaia, the, the vigil, two movies I absolutely love, but they kind of fit that like we're, we're it's, it's very they're very serious movies and the horror is kind of slowly outpouring out of it and i i I love a throwback big bombastic uh insane horror movie that kind of turns into an action movie in the last third and this was just a blast yeah i actually it's it's kind of in the same field as barb and star for me where like i appreciate it more than i i like it um but you or like like a drive my car so like that one. <laughs> um, but I I would love more movies like this. I want more movies that have a um, completely like shocking, insane twist halfway through, and then they just transform like a like a, a a mutant transformation halfway through, and the movie's just like it's a different genre now. It's, it's, it's new now. It's it's new now. Uh, I I actually, if the movie, the second half of the movie and the first half of the movie could shake hands better, I I would consider it like one of my favorite movies of the year. I just didn't really like the like amount of like it's just a spooky haunted house movie. It's just a spooky haunted house movie, and then oh, it might be a slasher movie too, but it's not that interesting. And then they reaches this transformation point, and it's like an explosion of amazing ideas and gore and like high wire violence and you're like where was all this yeah <laughs> and i understand it takes the first half to get to the second half yeah. but yeah well I, and I, we I, talked a little bit about this i really love I, I think that the the first 
two thirds of the movie is hitting so hard on like horror movie tropes that James Wan is very familiar with that it seems like the whole time it seemed like something was off and like it was like bordering like so close to parody with a very skilled hand saying like every twist is going to be predictable and ridiculous in this way that even the character's not really buying what everyone else is saying and it's going to have a very melodramatic sheen that I think the when it cuts to this is kind of a big joke but in a crazy way, I think it. I actually think it works really well with the first mm. movie. But I think you and I have had this debate in text before uh, for long. I would love time, to cover the movie on the show. Yeah, I feel like it'd be yeah. fascinating to talk about like why it does what it does. Yeah, it's a deliberate movie. It's not a mess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I watched. I watched it for catch up and uh, I am really glad that I did. It was a very wild time and I didn't know anything about it going into it. I hadn't seen, I think I'd only seen one James Wan movie before and uh, I had a blast. I would watch more. <laughs> no. What's the other one that you saw? It's, uh, did he do The Conjuring? Yeah, he, yes. did, uh, he yes. did The Conjuring movies. Yep. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the first one. Yeah, I like which, the first which two I, which, a lot. I don't care for them. But... Um, <laughs> Which is also a point of contention. I think James Wan is one of Aaron and I's few few divergences in terms of horror. Um, well, well, I, I mean, I do like Saw, and I, I mean, his fa- his Fast and the Furious movie is my favorite one. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Carrie, your number eight. My number eight is Zola, the movie based on a Twitter thread. Um, <laughs> it is a wild ride. I. Uh, Janiska Bravo has been on my radar for a while. Um, her film Lemon is one that I've been meaning to catch for a long time. Oh, yeah. Um, and I just haven't yet. Um, so one guy that's in all the TV shows, right? Yeah, breakout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, and uh, I think they're married, actually. Or they, oh, okay. or, or they were partnered at one point. Um, but uh, so when I saw that she directed this movie, I was like, oh, I really need to check it out. And... It the it, the thing that stuck with me the most about it while I was watching it and as I've thought about it since is just how excellently directed it is. Like this is a movie where like the costumes are pitch perfect, the production design is pitch perfect. Like this is a movie that immerses you in this wild world, um, and everything, all of the detail feels exactly on point. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I love like all of the performances are amazing. I love Coleman Domingo. This is Coleman Domingo doing something that I've never seen him do before. And I would love to see him do more of. Uh, it is really fun, really upsetting. Uh, just taking you through all of these situations that are so uncomfortable and you can completely understand why someone would need to process this on Twitter after experiencing it in real life. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I thought it was, I thought it was going to be fun. And then I was really surprised by how great I actually thought it was by the time it was done. Yeah, I I didn't dig this movie very much, but I do uh, I do want to see more about the director because the direction is wonderful. Yes, Um, the way that it the way that it punctuates a moment of comedy with a moment of silence and a moment of drama with like just a little bit of levity 
um, is masterful. It's something that only like a really truly like awesome director can do. Um, I have problems with the fact that um, it's just like two. It's two unreliable narrators in a little bit of a battle. Yeah. And I feel like the movie either needed like more frame or it needed a third person to be like, none of these facts have been verified. It is very much like a lean and mean movie that's like, this is two very unreliable narrators telling stories against one another. One of them is obviously way more unreliable. Um, But uh, the, the fun of it is kind of in like the wildness of it. But like, I have a little bit of trouble finding like a, a, a point or a purchase for me to find uh, 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 for why the story needed to be like told. I yeah. need a little bit more, a little bit more balance. I would have even like loved like a little bit of that Scorsese irony where like they're like, hey, we verified this fact. This person was never actually checked into the to a hospital or this person never actually existed. Like this this person's a fake name. Like I would have enjoyed like a little bit of that Scorsese or, or Hustlers kind of irony where it's like this person says something and then the narrator is basically like that's completely fucking wrong. Um, I'm just kind of spitballing here because like the energy of it is so powerful. But like I I don't totally know why I spent 70 ish minutes in, in, the, in the mindset there. I'm fascinated hearing you describe this because I'm realizing now that the facts of the story never like the like what the truth might be never once crossed my mind during it. And I am and I, I am a they could have tried. Yeah. <laughs> I am a nonfiction minded person and not once in any of this was I wondering about fact checking. I was mm-hmm. just like, oh, this is just an absurdist fantasy situation that that did actually happen. It is based on truth. But like, yeah. it is so absurd that I was just kind of like, OK, I'm I'm accepting. I'm accepting what this is. I'm not going to think that this is exactly how this went down, because surely yeah. this is not exactly how this went down. Um and the style of the movie, I feel like, is leaning into the embellishment of it all. But like yeah. now that you're saying it, I am thinking like, huh, maybe I should have watched this with a slightly more critical eye than I did. Yeah, and it's it's fine. Like the like it is like a blast for what it is, and it's also like it is like a movie that's horrifying at times. Um, but I do I do like wonder because I don't actually care about maybe the f- facts of the case, but like. I'd be funny to have like a third perspective there. Yeah. Like, hey, like there's no evidence of this ever happening based on this person's arrest record or whatever. Like, uh, and I understand a lot of this stuff is hard to hard to back up because it is just one crazy night that takes place in CD places where crime happens all the time, right? Like, yeah, the- people would rather turn a blind eye to domestic violence and sex sex trafficking and gun violence like people would rather turn a blind eye to that and just move move the fuck along because of the spaces these people operate in yeah the act of researching this would be very difficult but yeah it'd be a nightmare yeah a total nightmare <laughs> so maybe i'm asking for something that cannot exist and so maybe it's better to just embrace the fact that there's two two characters that have two different versions of reality and we'll never know but you're not wrong to point out that like it is a movie based on truth and yet the truth is never going to really be known and like that's a little concerning but the movie is winking at you that these people might be lying to you and the movie's like we're just going to tell the story as they told it because it is a great it's a wild story yeah like um so and the, the direction's insane i have to check out um her other movies this lemon movie sounds really cool yeah yeah i i'm curious to check out the rest now
Yeah. Yeah, I didn't I, I didn't catch this one, but I do like a good Twitter thread, so maybe <laughs> I would recommend not reading the Twitter thread because that's what I, like. I have I not read blind. the t- I have not read the Twitter thread. That's what I went in blind. I was also very relieved that the director was like not super focused on like showing you the thread or whatever it just kind of used that as like narrative nuggets i will say though everything about the way that this movie is being described sounds uncompelling but i almost did watch it and the only reason i i was like oh maybe i watch this around my kids and within five minutes i'm like nope and then i never got back to it yeah no Uh, it's not not for your kids (laughs) uh money should, should have clearly looked at the the parental guide peter you're number eight uh, okay, number eight. Power of the we Dog. Oh, the reason no. I like it is because Aaron hates it. Um, no. Um, Power of the Dog. This is our uh, most antagonistic uh, <laughs> countdown, I think, <laughs> ever. Power of the Dog is similar to Nomadland, where um, it uh, rose Went dramatically down. in the Oscar hype, and then I think some people there was like a little bit of a backlash to it being like uh, you know top of the top of the pile for a bit. Um, I rewatched it. Um, the first time I watched it, I watched it on an iPad and I loved it. But I was like, I need to watch this like in a bigger screen and yes. enjoy it more. Um, it is. It is. A, everything is true. Like this is a movie about like you know criticizing masculinity and uh, all, all of that is true. But like, th- there's a million delicate little ways that it plays with that theme and like that's all there. But people talk about that all the time. The thing I want to talk about is that I really hate Benedict Cumber- Cumberbatch as an actor, and I think he's not a very good actor. Yeah. Um, that was my big problem a, with the movie. He's a he's a terrible actor. Um, generally not terrible actor, but he's just not a very good actor. Uh, he's very distracting. I don't like him in movies. He should be in bad movies. This was no, no. This was a movie that I think he was geniusly cast in, geniusly cast because he's largely to me when I'm seeing him in movies, I see him and I see him pretending at acting. And this is a character that's pretending at a mode of masculinity that he read about in cowboy books. Yeah. And he had legendary yeah. figures uh, telling him about the old days of the cowboy wrestlers and and uh, the old days of, of ranching and all the, 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 the brush fire wars with the Indians and all this like made up colonialist bullshit that he's internalized into himself. And now he's doing a performance of what a cowboy is. Yeah. And so he's doing all the spit and chaw and he's refusing to shower. And he's always smoking his unfiltered cigarettes. And like his brother is in contrast that he's like, his brother's like, yeah, I can do most of the shit you do. I just, we have a business to run. Like I have to like, <laughs> I have to talk to like, <laughs> like buyers and we have to be able to sell our cattle. Like it's a whole fucking deal, man. We don't, this is not the old days where you need to like, pretend to be as john john 40 as you 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 can um and the reason i love this movie is because they found a way to weaponize benedict cumberbatch's inherent artificiality and make it into something where i was like that's one of my favorite performances of the year because the context that it's within it's genius yeah great great point and i should say this isn't like a no man land uh where i don't think it's like that's not a good movie but where I, I do like this quite a bit. I gave it like four stars and it's in my 40s on my list. But um, I think your description of Benedict Cumberbatch in this movie makes me want to rewatch it because I – yeah. I mean I, I think that's – I think that's that's perfect. Yeah. And it's and, – and also like while I'm there, just to addendum on that, I don't think the movie is there for you just to laugh at him because he's like a, a – a manic uh, a no no yeah. a, a um a stereotype of masculinity he's a caricature of masculinity that's what i was looking for um i think i almost said a manicure of masculinity um but he is but he's manicure. also like 
it's a movie that's like heartfelt about the fact that he, in pursuing this icon, um, has given up so many legitimate, like, touching relationships because, like, you know, a real man out in the wrestler, he don't he don't talk to the women folk. A woman just kind of falls in his lap one day and then he has to have the chillins. Like this like fucking caricature is like has deprived him of so much. And I feel like that's a that's a great it's a great, great point about masculinity. Yeah. It deprives yeah. you of, of joy. Yeah. Well, it is also like his love, though. Yes. Like it's not it's not I, 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 it's hard to look at it in terms of depriving of relationships because it's a relationship that was taken from him. In a way, yeah, but it's right? perhaps only existed in his brain. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay, like, and his way of his way of 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 accepting the, the the queerness inside of him may be filtered through this toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. It becomes this complex becomes this complex thing in him where it's like a real man. Yeah, it's 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 that that was kind of my take. The idea that like he. Um, he replaced like love with idolatry mm-hmm. and like in, in like the way that he expressed it. Um, but I, I, I remember reading a lot of stuff at the time. It's been, it's been a little bit now. That is one of the disadvantages sometimes of doing this a year after you've seen this all movie these movies. This movie came out so long ago. Yeah. <laughs> of these movies. But, um, is I do remember there was a lot of like talk about like that the, the relationship or any assumed relationship was, was in his head. I thought that was it. It could go either way. The way yeah. I, the way I read it is that like this was this was a man he worshipped to the point that like it it doesn't totally matter if they even had one like beautiful night in the mountains together. Yeah, yeah. It totally. It doesn't totally matter because he spent the rest of his life pursuing this, getting back to that. Yeah, yeah. His pain. Yeah, and har- harassing children. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which I I found the movie a little stressful. Um, <laughs> yes, um, I've, uh, this is now the podcast where I, uh, just share very personal things, but, um, <laughs> uh, I, in like the last couple of years have been like navigating gender fluidity and exploring masculinity and like being aware of the fact that like the way in which I am bodied masculinity is very not normative and you know meeting this like very uh tender twink at the start of the movie I was like oh I get you like I'm just kind of latching on to you and with that character ending up being you know the sort of the villain in a way um mm-hmm. or at least doing some some potentially very villainous things uh yeah. I, I i walked away from it being like wait a minute but i thought this was going to be a very different kind of movie and now this is like actually making me wonder what it is saying about masculinity and about like the types of masculinity that can be performed and if they aren't performed the right way is that a sign of treachery and mm-hmm. i i it was i i walked away from being like i i appreciated that i don't know if i liked it but i think i need to watch it again to better understand it because it was just like just settling weirdly so i yeah. watched mm-hmm. it again like i think only a couple days later and i got a better handle on it 
but just for the time in which I watched it and like things I was processing in my own uh, mind at that time, um, it just landed as like the the messages I least needed to hear about masculinity. <laughs> so I feel like at some point I'm going to come back to it and be able to like see it more fully. Um, yeah. But wow. The, the timing of timing of these, these stories yeah. is there's very a, important. There's I a mean, lot happening there. About, I also talked about how Nomadland, I was like, it hit me very positively at the right time. Yeah. And then later, later on, you know, a couple years later, I, um, you know, it, it didn't have the same impact. I still like love the movie, but it didn't have the same impact. I, 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 I you know, it is it is a complex thing. The ending. Um, I fundamentally see it as an act of uh, queer self defense. Mm-hmm. Um, that he is defending himself and his and who he is against this like violent masculinity that's trying to not just like it's not just trying. He's not just trying to like um, change him. He's trying to destroy the person that that he, uh, Cody Smith McPhee's. Yeah, he's yeah. trying to destroy who Cody Smith McPhee's character is fundamentally from the ground up, and it's an act. To me, I read it as an act of like um, self preservation. Hey, like yeah, self preservation and self defense, and being like, this is your your like your strange. Um, your strange, violent attempt at trying to coerce this out of me and keep me in some version of a closet is is not going to function. Like I, I, I cannot, I cannot abide that. Um, and uh, I don't see this as like the origin story for a villain or something where some people are like, oh yeah, now this kid's just going to poison everybody he doesn't like. Well, this I way, also ev- everything's the Joker. This yeah. might also be a case of like discourse getting the worst of me because I saw so many. I saw so many people comparing the ending to Psycho and like saying that this is like a Norman Bates kind of character. And uh, and I think that that probably got in my head too much. I'm like, is that what I was supposed to take away from this? Because that really changes everything that I thought I knew about this. So if if hypothetically um, Lonely Mama's boys were being um, murdered um and have been murdered um for no fucking reason uh for you know a, a long period of, of our history and unfortunately a long period of our history i could read it that way i think the fact that the character is queer um means that uh it has to be seen as an act of self-defense because they are going to keep going down this road together and um yeah. at some point benedict cumberbatch's character is either going to transcend some sort of sexual boundary with him, uh, escalate his sort of violent conflict with him, or try to destroy his soul. And I think that, like, in the specific context of queerness, Mm -hmm. um, it allows for this act of violence because the act of violence is an act of self-defense. Whereas, like, in the context of Psycho, the act of violence is... I mean, Psycho is also also a fundamentally flawed movie from a psychological perspective. That's not how split personality works that's not how yeah that's not how reality works but regardless um so the norman bates's problem is that he's a very lonely mama's boy um yeah he could he's doing just fine um talking to a, a beautiful woman for a period of time um <laughs> yeah he probably could he does fine in some of the sequels talking to a beautiful woman i think in psycho 2 the problem is not norman it's um uh people trying to avenge uh, uh i forget her name um, the main character. Yeah. 
No, I like, <laughs> like I like your read on this. This is yeah. this is a this is a read I hadn't quite heard in the way that you're putting and and looking at it as self preservation feels Disc- better. This course is tough, man. This course is bad. Tough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And also, I'll, I'll say, you know, take it from me. I think someone who's quintessentially known as a man's man, the key mm-hmm. to masculinity is mostly just hot wings and the restaurant establishment Hooters, and I. Yeah. <laughs> I think you figured it out through those those two things. I, I go to I personally I go to Home Depot and buy one specific piece of poplar in a plastic bag. Take yeah. it, put it in my truck. It's a great um, idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, if you just watch the show Home Improvement, I think you're gonna get. It. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, just, yeah. It's really <laughs> surreal. Grunting. Yeah. For some people, it's like oh, but you're like oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, uh, yeah, my uh, wait. Are we in seven? Uh, let's get this train rolling. Seven. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Let's get All right, my number seven is Yeehaw. I blame society. Um, oh yeah. Great. Really, which is a fun movie. Hey, What's funny is that so Ben is a bad time to have a, a rant about <laughs> about all your problems. I think we can talk about movies tonight. What movie uh, do you list as your number seven? Oh my god! Wait till I get to the bullet points of why I blame society. <laughs> PowerPoint presentation. Uh, no, whatever. Like, like, you society. Have time for your shitty who's on first bits. Shut up! <laughs> it's we're already <laughs> three hours. Um, the uh, so Benedetta didn't quite make my list, but I loved it. It's in, in the twenties and fantastic. The movie reminds me the most of is Benedetta, and more of like a review of Benedetta that I saw afterwards. On Letterboxd, it was very funny. Uh, I might get the phrasing slightly wrong, but it was like, finally, a movie character, <laughs> a, move, a, a main, uh, finally, uh, the main character of the movie whose only qualities are being gay and lying a lot, just like me. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, like, that works so well with I Blame Society, at least. It does. But, like, just the overall enthusiastic, like, like it, it is it i'm i i feel like a man bites dog which this movie's rightfully compared to because it's that same idea of like voyeuristic like filming the murders that are being committed for the sake of like art or whatever else um like i i respect and i somewhat enjoy but i i do think this movie is so fun in the way it does that that it really makes you like kind of root for this completely unlikable character uh she i mean she is like she is very charismatic and she is very charming and her entire goal is just she lies to everyone all the time murders people on client uh, on on camera for her first student art movie and no one is going to snap her out or make her feel guilty for a second just a complete sociopath and uh, it's funny yeah, it's charming it's so funny it's, it's so good i love it that's the quick number seven yeah, it's also like there's so many movies about Hollywood sucking, but I feel like this is one of the first ones I've ever seen that um, is really actually incisive. Like it yeah. actually does oh, cut yeah. to the bone of like the ho- hollowness of of um, of what people are looking like. Go to Hollywood, be who you are, and then she gets in these meetings, and they're like, "What we're actually looking for is a different version of you that's similar to these three celebrities that I'm naming, because they are proven assets, and we don't really know what you've done so far." Like the yeah, the, the yeah. yeah though, that whole that ending was really good. It's great. Yeah, it's great. Loved it. Carrie, your number seven. My number seven is Spencer, which I feel like I uh, said a little bit about earlier, but uh, yeah, it's great. Um, great movie. Yes, Peter. Seven, um, Judas and the Black Messiah. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So they made a movie 
about Fred Hampton's fucking murder at the age of 21. And I feel like it kind of disappeared a little bit. And I looked back and I was like, was there like a backlash or something? I don't think so. There wasn't a controversy. No, I, so I don't think it disappeared. I guess my take on that is that it did. It, the problem with that is I hated those Academy Awards where they just decided to go through February. So it was a February release that was like a part of the 2020 Academy Awards, but technically a part of the 2021 film oh, God. discourse. And I feel like it kind of like weirdly canceled. It like became this forgotten thing where it's like, oh, didn't we talk about that last year? Yeah. Um, but we, but no one did because it only, it only mattered for that like 2020 with the Academy Awards, but that was so pressing on people's minds that people forgot it was a 2021 movie and passed it out. Like I had to double check too. It's, it's in the, it's in the teens on my list. I didn't quite, didn't quite make the top 10, but yeah, I, I think that was like weirdly punished by the Oscar insane Oscar decision to move yeah. the eligibility date. Um, in, in short, basically, um, this is a crucial part of American history that is sorely undertaught. Um, it's not that the Black Panthers imploded. It's not that the civil rights era um, gradually transcended into a more violent model and then imploded. Um, it's none of those things. It's that yeah, uh, it's these, these movements were um, they got some wins and then they were taken apart. Um, by the powers that be, white supremacist powers that be. And uh, it's a story that uh, has so, so much to tell. But it, it introduces you to it introduces you to real life characters for a moment. You forget that these were like real people that actually like put their asses on the line. Um, the messaging in the movie is particularly vibrant because the way that these conversations were being had at the time is extremely different than the way they're being they're being had now. Um and the conversations needed to be had differently back then. The fact that Fred Hampton tried to form like a conglomeration of various like racial groups, including like white poor people um, to pursue social and economic justice is like an important part of, of history. And it's why he was seen as so threatening enough to put a bullet in his body as well as the bodies of several of his loved ones and friends. Um, so Judas the Black Messiah is a powerful, powerful movie about a part of American history that's been buried under dirt uh, on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, is it my number six? Yep. Are we yes. moving an actual clip? Let me slow down. Uh, so, uh, my number six is Licorice Pizza, um, which is a – man, I – like from – I think we had a long message exchange about like the ending and what the movie was trying to say and mm -hmm. I, I would love to cover it on the show because I think there's a lot to talk about. I, I do think at the broadest level, we've done this end of the year thing for a few years now and there's been a few P Paul Thomas Anderson movies that have come up. Uh, I know Phantom Thread was on people's lists when we did it. Um, and I, I I, unfortunately, like, I feel a little bit left behind by Paul Thomas Anderson, where I feel like ever since he made the switch from aping, and aping sounds dismissive, I'm just using it as shorthand. I don't actually mean, like, but it, it, ever since he made the switch from aping Altman to aping Kubrick, I feel like he... Uh, I've gone from loving his movies to respecting and liking from a distance his movies. Yeah. Like, 
There Will Be Blood is the pivot point, but everything else, like, even, like, The Master, which is a movie I was so excited to see, I'm like, wow, that's amazingly shot, fantastic performances. It do- it doesn't hit me the way Boogie Nights or Magnolia or Punch Drunk Love or those movies hit. And I kind of was, like, resigned to the fact that I was never going to get another Paul Thomas Anderson movie that I really loved and was pleasantly surprised that Licorice Pizza ended up being uh, that movie. It It helps that, obviously, the... I mean, just has an amazing uh, band I already loved, um, Heim, um, and uh, and Alana Alana Heim is just an absolute fantastic performer in here. <laughs> I, I like the band enough that I hope she continues to be. I think I've sent you guys some TikToks of all the jokes that they make about how she's I trying to leave the band <laughs> to, to go to go to movies and them them uh, her her older sister's not letting. And the happen, whole but, family um, is in the movie. The whole family's in the movie, and I, yeah, they're great. I, they're great. Like there, there's a lot of complicated discussions around the central, uh, around the central relationship. Understandably so, but at the end of the day, it's like this fantastic tapestry of a specific time. Which Boogie Nights, Magnolia, I think those movies, even Punch Drunk Love, with like it's like late '90s stuff, really gets really well. And it also like is incredibly funny and like incredibly like everyone feels like this human character, which is also what Altman I think did so well at making his characters feel very human and i um i think uh that's what his earlier movies did before he made him bigger than than life literally too like shooting in 70 millimeter and really like showing people's face up as close as possible and uh yeah love it it's a great movie um terry did you have something to say before i jump uh i i just want to add that so when i was watching the movie there were there were alternating points where I was like, this is my favorite thing he's ever done to, oh, yeah, there's some really queasy stuff in it. And I don't know how I can I don't know how it's going to shake out for me. Um, But the Bradley Cooper truck driving scene has to be like in discussion for scene of the year. Like that scene on its own, just like taking that. Because it is a very vignette movie. Like, you can yeah. just watch, like, different sections of it, you know, as standalone. And that standalone section is, like, I think maybe some of his best directing ever. Oh, it's just yeah. exquisite. And so funny. Like, it yeah. just reminds you how fu- – like, Boogie Nights is a fucking it's really funny movie. Yeah. Magnolia is a very, very funny movie at parts. Punch Drunk Love is one of my favorite comedies of the last 50 years. Like, I think that movie is – absolutely hilarious with a very sweet core and i i like and no one goes man you know it's a funny movie the master like it you know he kind of left that part yeah. of him behind a little bit and it's just yeah that bradley cooper scene like all the stuff with bradley cooper i'm like oh my god this yeah. is yeah. the funniest shit ever i so i was making i i, I like the movie uh it's very it's very good um i didn't connect with me enough to like make it like my top 20 or whatever um i <clears throat> Uh, I do think that, like, I was joking about this earlier, but, like, I do think that you can, um, like, generally, like, you know, a year later, if I'm still thinking about something, I'm probably going to be thinking about it five years later. Like, it's just a thing. Um, If I go and watch a movie a couple times and I still like it, like, I probably am going to like that movie for a long time. The thing about PTA movies, though, is that's a little bit hard for me, is that, like, sometimes I watch it and I'm like, what was that? Or, like... I don't know, it's fine. Or it was it was good, but eh. um like the master, I was like, it was fine. Eh. And then I watched it again. And then one random Saturday morning I watched it again. 
And then I fell in love with the movie. And now I think it's like one of the best things he's made. And I'm not saying, Aaron, like, you got to watch The Master more. Like, that's not what I'm saying. My point is that, like, I – as his movies have this 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 um, this strange, like, sort of, like, these, like, tail ends of a soul that, like, you're like, I don't know how these connect. And then, like, you watch the movie a few more times and you're like, oh, well, he worked on this movie for years and they connect like this. And, that, like, that's why the movie has, has power when you have some time, more time with it. Um, I'm imagining I will watch Licorice Pizza again in a two, three years and I'll be like, yeah, this movie fucking rolls. At the time, it just didn't, you know. Um, it's really my wife, good. my wife liked it till the very end. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then she turned on the movie very hard. Uh, Carrie, you're number six. Number six. I think this might be the one, the only movie that all of us will have on our lists, which is West Side Story. Um, oh, yeah. And I think that both of you have it a lot higher. So we can also save this till then. But uh do you, do you want do you want to hold off since it's like we, yeah we we can say I know it's higher on someone's list of social media so <laughs> <laughs> let's yeah yeah um I'll just say for now uh did you know that they could make like big beautiful musicals again like I didn't know this this is and, and frankly I don't know if anybody but like a handful of filmmakers should um yeah but yes. Yes, they can, and I, uh, I I watched this movie and it was just a rapt attention. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll 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 say more about it later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my six is Dune. Already talked about why I love it. We can move on to number five. My number five is Together Together. Yay! It's a really um, good movie. I uh, I think sometimes those kind of like quiet sweet movies get like forgotten at year end time, but like. I was just incredibly impressed. Like, obviously, I have some affection for Ed Helms from actually more The Daily Show than uh, than whatever they turned his character into in the office. <laughs> um, he's, uh, not, not, he's very good at it, but not a good character turn where I, feel, where I look back fondly as the Ed Helms character in the office. Um, but, like, more impressively and more what I'm talking about, like, I love Patty Harrison. She's, she's amazing. amazing. Everything that she's in. But, like, the, the fact that they – in this movie, like, she is playing an actual character and not a admittedly hilarious joke machine um, is is fantastic. That she's she not is, an unhinged maniac in this? Yeah. yeah. She's not yelling about the, the bald boys <laughs> from the Charlie Brown float or whatever else. But, like, she's so good. And, like, this uh, – another, like, topic that I don't think there's enough movies about. Like, what if – two? What is, what is, like, platonic love between two people of different generations who are, are like, supporting each other? And it's also just something, like, you realize, like, that thing starts at such a young age, right? Like, my daughter's in elementary school and, like, they really, like – even in this day and age – and I live in a pretty liberal – leftist area of, of Minneapolis, which is already a pretty like liberal leftist town. Like I, there's just this thing of like, Oh, if I am, if I want to be friends with someone of like, if, you know, a, a girl, then it, she's, she's my friend. If I want to be friends with a boy, that's a crush. And like, that's like agreed upon by everyone. Right. Like those, those kind of like 
kind of like general, like I think like gender, heterosexual gender normativity just like exists and on every level, like just because I think it's reinforced in so many different areas. And like this is such a – and the thing is, is like you see why kids would think that way because if they watch – 95 98% of movies like there isn't a really good example of like a a quad like I'm saying romantic comedy and like where this would be filed in a genre section that isn't a romantic comedy it yeah. is about love it is about love between a, a man and a woman and that sort of stuff but it's not this sort of love that shows it also shows that like they're confused by it at certain times in the movie too because they have existed in a society that just says like hey if you guys are hanging out so much together and truly care and love each other why aren't you you know being more than friends and and uh especially with everything else that's going on in the movie and so um it's the the fact that this movie doesn't take a shitty left turn and really sticks to its guns about like what it means to be friends uh, and doesn't uh, – yeah, I think it's so good. And it's like just incredibly touching. It's definitely the movie last year that like had me bawling more than any other movie. Like it really just got at its core. And the fact that like two of – two extremely funny people are just playing these very like sensitive, like emotional characters. Such a great turn for both of them, I hope. Uh, you know, I hope more people that haven't seen this movie get a chance to see it. And it feels like a movie that um, – like we'll we'll end up being like one of those movies that I watch, you know, anytime I see it on some random IFC channel or something because it's like ninety minutes of like exactly two two people I love watching just you know uh, having these both very funny and tender moments. It's not all seriousness, and you can see why they would be why would be friends, and then you know kind of the societal and uh, life situation complications that get added to that and how they navigate through so yeah great movie. it's it's you said it perfectly it's just so lovely and um similar to pig this was actually the first movie i saw back in theaters and so it just like it was it, it you know and it's not necessarily like a big screen movie or like what you think of in that way but yeah. getting to go I saw it on Hulu, yeah. 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 But like getting to go to a theater and just watching like a nice funny movie was just it just felt like oh this is a thing we're allowed to do now. Yeah. That's such that's so nice. Um it it just was it was a very reassuring experience and so like I have this warmth uh, when I think about this movie that is very much related to the film and also like the context of when it came out. But uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I think we actually get like we've gotten very used to as a culture the idea that like you go to movies to have some sort of like harrowing or exhausting. Yeah, like, it has to be a spectacle. It has to be a spectacle experience. And like, I yeah, because all those fucking watch at home scolds always point to the spectacle of movies. <laughs> As, like, why you need to go to the movies, forgetting that, like, you can all, it also can be good to just see, like, enjoy a human experience with other humans yeah. yes. silently in a room. Yeah. And, like, a and like a 90 minute, like, nice movie about two people figuring out the mechanics of their relationship. Um, and I use the word relationship to mean, like, you know, just generalized. Dynamic. Um, yeah. 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 Like, me and my mailman have a relationship because I talk to them sometimes. Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> give, me, give me my mail, sir. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yes, so uh, the, you can walk out of those movies not tired and exhausted from having lights flashing in your face or having blood smeared on the screen for a while. You can walk in those movies and come out like rejuvenated and full of like, you know, that's nice. Like people can just like, figure out. On the out flip side, 
how their life works. Yeah, on the flip side, you can wear 3D glasses to, together together. There's no law against it. You, No one's going to stop you. It might not enhance your performance, but if you need spectacle, you know, throw on some 3D glasses and go see a quiet drama. It'll yeah. happen. Uh, Carrie! Is it number, number five? Number five. Number five. Number five is uh, the movie that I did some debating about whether or not it was going to stay on my list. Oh. Um, <laughs> I watched this. Yeah. Uh, and look, as the, I mean, what they did is very different, but as the as the resident, we love to watch Woody Allen Defender. Um, <laughs> very different. <laughs> I, I feel like I, you know... I, watch, I signed the letter. No one asked me to. <laughs> I watch I watch enough movies and celebrate enough movies by very troubling individuals that it just felt disingenuous to remove this because I do still think it's an amazing movie. Um I'm talking about a hero by Asgar Farhardy. Um Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> sort sort of. This version is by him. Um uh, he so <laughs> Farhadi makes these incredible, tense, character-driven thriller dramas, and like they're they're all masterful. Um it sounds like maybe all of them are plagiarized, which really fucking sucks. Um I don't know. Yeah, this was stolen from Uncut Gems. <laughs> <laughs> the if if there are people listening who haven't run up on this, I would just say to like Google what's going on with him. Uh, there have been a, f- a few very long articles written about it. It's really upsetting and awful. Um, there are lawsuits happening that are very well deserved, and I hope that everyone gets uh, what they need out of it. Um, that but that said, the movie, the movie rules. Um, yeah. It's just a really amazing story about like. You know, it's. I mean, it's this. It 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 makes so much sense that he's able to tap into these characters so well. This is why it is kind of a Woody Allen thing. Like he's yeah. able to tap into these morally murky characters who like are doing things that they shouldn't be doing, but then kind of can't get out of it. And you know, maybe they find some justification for it. Uh, and it. He he gets the nuances of these people so well, probably because yeah. he is a very murky individual. Um, yeah. But he's just such a he's just a, such a skilled director in how everything is uh, put together. And I felt like this is probably one of the best scripts, some of the best storytelling I saw last year. Um, it's just uh, it is always going to have an asterisk now. Um, yeah. I'm really glad I saw it. I'm really glad I kept it on my list. But like, man, it's really disappointing <laughs> when people you love end up being kind of shitty. It like does make sense, though, because it is. You're clearly a good director. Yeah. Like, you yeah. make your own stuff. Hire, hire a screenwriter. There's a lot of them. Yeah. Also, like, you know, you want to make a movie about divorce? <laughs> you just start that. Why do you have to steal someone else's divorce movie idea? <laughs> Get your own divorce. Yeah, it's like you could just make, you could read tr- court transcripts and make it based on a true story. Why are you why are you plagiarizing someone else, bud? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I did watch it though after just because um, after I, I actually missed all this. 
uh, and missed the movie completely. And then you said, oh, I should take it off the list. And then, but it, it's so good and I'm debating it. And your recommendation or moral quandary and still <laughs> noting it was so good and then realizing it was the new movie by Isaac Eidson, a separation. Yeah. Yeah. I was There's- like, oh, I got to watch it. And it, it like, it is, there is some like perverse horror as a kid who used to lie. Right, like I used to lie when I was in elementary school. Yeah, my guess is like, and like, and part of that is because I had very disciplinary parents, and like, you couldn't just tell them the truth. Like, it was it was always better for you to lie and figure out a way out of a situation than yep. it was to actually because the you know, yeah, which which is uh, not a good way to parent. If you're a parent out there, just FYI, <laughs> give kids a safe space to be honest with you. Um, but. Uh, so like that thing of like oh man I'm I'm caught in this lie and like I need to fig- I'm going to say another lie and then try to figure out a way like that de- like that is always and un- I uncut gems is a really good example of that too mm-hmm. of like like those characters that they're it's not like an I blame society or a Benedetta where it's where it's like these characters seem to don't like they don't actually care whether you believe their lies or not they're very <laughs> they're very set on continuing with whatever they're they're saying but these are people who want to be perceived as honest want to get away with what they're doing and and um if i just tell the next lie i'll get to it has a very specific like childhood stressor for me and this movie hit taps into that very well uh peter what is your number five number five the mitchells versus the machines like every so often, one of these like animated movies hits me. I absolutely did not expect from the cover that this movie that just looked like it was just like a blast of the senses was going to be the thing that like made me cry and really like um, think about like how my how my childhood formed who I am now and like what level of support my parents offered versus like the things that I want to do if I'm a parent. Like mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a very affecting, beautiful movie that's also fucking hilarious. Um, it finds a way to toe the line between it finds a way to toe the line between this joke is for a child so it's inherently a little silly and 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 ridiculous with um oh this was actually a joke with a setup and a punchline um i love the fact that the robots are actually feel like a threat like they actually yeah. they're not yeah. just like these like these yeah. goofballs walking around like it's an actual like threat take the that they have to take on it, it is a true like an action adventure film um and the art style is gorgeous um i'm very often kind of like <clears throat> left cold by a lot of like the pixar style animation um and hand-drawn animation is just so rare to find stop motion animation like next year i'll have wendell and wild on my list but um man like that it's just like this sort of animation that like really feels expre- imp- impressionistic to the creator uh, is kind of rare um yeah i feel like uh the spider-man into the spider-verse is probably something that i could maybe relate it to um but well i think it's, it was produced yeah. by mm-hmm. the same production team yeah which if they keep making movies maybe it's not going to feel as personal i don't know uh but for the time being uh a lovely lovely movie um very, very much like just brimming with personality and it in no way feels generic the way a lot of these movies can. Yeah. It's in the 20s on my list. I, and it was on my 15 for a while before I did like some pretty major catch up and I, I did really love it. Uh, I just read a really good take on it from Emily St. James um, around it being um, this idea of like a way to do a parent grappling with um, some some um, homophobia 
without being outwardly outwardly homophobic and, and making it about actually being that where we're about how the dad is accepting of uh, his daughter's sexuality, but not of her lifestyle, which in this case is about her like willingness to make movies and all the things that comes with that. And so like that idea of like, uh, you know, you can be uh, accepting, but not accepting like on paper, but not actually accepting with what they want to do with who they are as a person. I thought it was a good take that I didn't, didn't catch the first time. So yeah, yeah I've I, I got to read that. I wish that I, so I watched this for catch up. Um, I'm glad I did. Uh, I wish they had done more with the queerness. Um, and like there, there is a lot of like, you know, there, there, there are certain visual cues and certainly a lot of subtext. And then it makes it very, very explicit by the end. Um, but like, I don't know. I feel like we're we're at a point where we can just make an openly queer character openly queer the whole movie. Yeah. Um, and like they they were so close with it. I wish they had just done like a little bit a little bit more to flesh that out. Um, yeah. But yeah, I en- I enjoyed this movie. Um, it is in the genre, the ever growing genre nowadays of um, uh parental apology fantasy films that (laughs) that is a that is a genre that i have a lot of qualms about um but this movie having the stakes that it did and like being on a pretty small scale made it work for me better than a lot of Mm -hmm. other ones have um it it felt the the relationship dynamic shifting as it does in the time frame that it does um f- made a lot of sense to me um and it's just it's just very nice yeah yeah, yeah. i i you know i i can i can totally read that um that criticism i think it's it's sound um i do i did kind of it's not really the era where we like need to hide like you know if you're gonna make it text in the movie like make it fucking text yeah um I do like though that like the <clears throat> the central argument is not about her queerness that the central argument is about her yeah. personality and like whether or not she's going to like make something of herself or whatever because like yeah. I think that that is like beautifully wonder uh universal for kids right whether they are um LGBT in any way um or they just feel misunderstood or you know there's some kids with like learning disabilities or specific needs uh or kids that are um on the autism spectrum like there's a lot of kids out there that feel misunderstood by their parents and i feel like making it about the specific uh the specific hobby that she has that she wants to turn into a career but it's a little impractical and she needs to go to a, a an expensive art school and all of that like to get there um i think making it focus on that rather than the queerness yeah. is like, i feel like that's maybe the next step is like yeah. is like um take the queerness as a given early early like i I agree that should happen earlier and then but make it about like the uniqueness of the personality actually being like sort of code for like parents trying to process the fact that the kids are not who they envision they would be or the kids are maybe on a track that they don't know where it's going and that scares them yeah totally it's always a story worth telling how you tell the story absolutely matters and you're it's a good call out uh, my number four, which we'll save, which will actually, I think, be our capper, because it is the only one on all three of our lists, and based on 
I don't want to give anything away, but I think it might be the last movie we talk about. Um, my number four is West Side Story. Two things I'll say about that before we talk about it later. Uh, one, this guy who made it, great director. I hope whatever he follows up with really captures the power of filmmaking magic in his next movie. Ready Player um, Two? It does. Oh, great. That's perfect. I mean, I've heard about it, but... Um, uh, <laughs> sorry, I... Uh, I will say, like, you know, in the same way that I was reticent to see Barb and Stark as Kristen Wiig, I am one of those people that, like, when a filmmaker makes a movie about the magic of movies, I'm just like, I, I'm i going to really have to trust a lot of people to get over this little mental hurdle, even though yeah. some movies I really like, like, like Hugo is about that, and I love Hugo. But it's just everything about it's like, oh, God. It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. We'll talk I, about never, it. We'll talk about it next or Yeah, next, next year. year. Yeah. Uh, and two, West Side Story, which uh, Peter just mentioned, it just shows like most people shouldn't try to make big spectacle musicals. I just want you to keep that in mind for when I get to my number three. Uh, <laughs> Carrie. Number four. My number four is uh, Bergman Island. Um Right. Which uh, it's a Mia Hansen love film. Um, she was, uh, I don't know if they were married, but she was in a relationship for a long time with um, Olivia Assayas. Um, and this movie is like very much processing the end of that relationship. Um, she, I haven't seen very many of her movies, but like they, it seems like she's made a lot of movies about the like the few very specific loves of her life that she's then made these movies kind of over and over again in different ways. Um, and so this is a film processing the end of that relationship and also reflecting on an earlier first love. And so it becomes this kind of like dual stories between this couple on an uh, artist retreat together Um the husband, who's a filmmaker, is uh, presenting um, a retrospective at uh, they're they're in Sweden at uh, like Bergman's estate, um, and uh, he's presenting a, retro- a retrospective um, of his work with Bergman's work, and you know at the same time the wife is writing and she is she's working on a story about. She doesn't say that it's about her, but it's very clearly about her, about her first love and her experience of first love. And so at a certain point, it becomes these two stories intertwined with each other, um, with this woman in the present and then telling this fictionalized version of her past uh, in a way that her husband can kind of see what she's working through, but also is respecting the creative distance that she's keeping. And it is, it's a great story about, uh, the creative process. And, you know, particularly like when you're an artist and you have a partner who's an artist and kind of like the, the complicating issues that can come up with that. It's a great film about memory and like working through the feelings that still keep coming up in the present. Um, and, uh, I haven't really watched very much Bergman and this made me want to watch more Bergman. <laughs> so <laughs> I watched Persona after seeing this. It was really good. Um, great. it's really great. Uh, yeah. Um, I highly I've recommend. Had a pitch, yeah, I've had a pitch for a month uh, where we do 
um, two Bergman movies that I think are reflective of two Lynch movies. Oh. Um, Persona and Mulholland Drive, and then Mm -hmm. um, Lost Highway and um, not Wolf at Midnight. What's that movie called? Um, Oh, I know what you're talking about. Hour of the Wolf. Wolf. That sounds Um, awesome. Yeah, I would like to do, because watching those movies... Uh, I watched most of those movies and then I rewatched the Lynch uh, movies and I was like seeing a lot of accidental or purposeful sort of connections. Um, and uh, yeah, Bergman, Bergman rules. Um, but I, so one thing that pushed me away from that movie was um, I get enough uh, film nerds talking to each other about movies and why they, what they think about, about them and how they impact their lives that it pushed me away. The way that you describe it, better, sounds better title, very, very better like poster. evocative, it, and like it makes fun of what you're describing. Um, yeah, isn't there another movie called Bergman Island? There's another. There's, I think it's a documentary. It's like a Criterion How many release. Bergman Islands, do we need? Honestly, I guess. <laughs> I saw. Have you ever heard of an island with more than one in the chain? <laughs> I have. I, I, the Bergman Island is the new Batman. I just keep rebooting it. I saw this Bergman Island with a friend of the show, uh, David Clark, and we were, there are scenes of film nerds having douchey film nerd conversations with each other. And that was the point where we just kept like poking each other and giggling. It's like, oh, they're, 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 they're making fun of this. They're making fun of us right now. And we feel very seen and it's very funny. Um, but that's not like the focus of the movie at all. Yeah. It's just like, it's the table setting and like, it's all it's good table setting. It's always pointing out that like these people are very silly and the things they debate are very silly. If I, if I was, if I was going to keep watching 2021 movies, I'd put it on the list, but unfortunately <laughs> Well, Never again. <laughs> 20 minutes, they're gone forever. Uh, Peter, you're number four. My number four is Titan. Um, so, uh, Titan is a movie. I was uh, wondering if one of us was going to have That's like my number 16. It like just missed, missed the oh, cut. I was wondering if one so of us was going to have it. On, it's on mine um, as well. Oh. It is a uh, romp. It's a joyous romp. Um, yeah. No, I do... I do appreciate <clears throat> that we're in a position where um, we have many children of Cronenberg sprouting up like weird mutant heads um, off of a it's like a cancerous polyp. Um, and this movie very much takes uh, the more impressionistic era of Cronenberg, more of the naked lunch era. Um, I would say the crash the era. Fantastical era where the, the literal is kind of thrown out um, in favor of of um the the evocative um the movie it is a movie ultimately about a woman who fucks cars but um just one is, car yeah just one car yeah yeah she, she's monogamous <laughs> yeah now to be clear like i don't think i would judge her if she fucked more than one car she, but like she does her character is very monogamous she does sexy she dancing busy. she does sexy yeah. dancing on other cars yeah. but there's only one car that uh, gives her orgasms and yeah, you got impregnate you gotta test drive. Yeah, before you settle down and decide who's gonna have your car babies, she fucks two cars. Sorry, she, she just fucks a truck. She does a no. She just does a sexy dance on it. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So she's just you know she doesn't capture the same glory of that muscle car. If you go to a, a strip club, do you think you're having sex with people? No, it's just I don't know, Aaron. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, you're not. <laughs> when God sees me, it looks a lot like it. 
Well, I know, but he's you know he's got that isometric view like the old Zelda game. He can't tell what's going on. Can you see what's in my pockets? Like an isometric RPG? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Does he click on me? <laughs> Sees how what my HP is at. Anyways, the point of it is um, it's going it's down right now. To, it's a very hard movie to describe the exact beauty, but it is like awful poetry. Like it's in in a good way, like a uh, horrible poetry. It's 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 um, punctuated with violence and. <clears throat> And terror. It has, um, I think, too much to, for me to really unpack safely um, about yeah. um, general. Yeah, this is this and, is an and episode, how, and how so and, clearly yeah, an episode, and how how uh, how and transitioning uh, works, and how the gender roles are played differently, and how people can embrace. Or, and there's separately from that, there's how people can embrace sort of um, delusions as, that are comforting. Um, and like it's just a it's a, it's a it's a movie that's hard to describe in a literal sense because it's not intended to be taken in a literal sense. I don't think it's a, it doesn't provide for clean reads. Um, and for that reason, um, and for squicking me out in a way that like I don't, I, I can think of very few movies that can make me feel that fucking weird. Um, uh, absolutely, my number four. Um, horrible description of that movie, um, but it's a very difficult movie to describe. Yeah. I was gonna bump it down just because I'm dumb. <laughs> yeah, you could have just read the lyrics to John Mayer's "Your Body's a Wonderland." I think you got it. Pretty. But like your car body. <laughs> well, we know what body they're talking. About. Yeah, <laughs> your auto body's a wonderland. <laughs> your chassis is a wonderland. This is um, right. this is on my list oh. as well, and um, I feel like it's kind of the reverse of the Power of the Dog situation, where this was like giving me. Uh, feelings and messages about gender that was like meeting me exactly where i was this is a movie about like the it's it is showing two different two very different characters with bodies that are betraying them and the things that they have to do to like keep their bodies in a way that feels that that is gonna keep them safe um and like they have to go through increasingly extreme measures in order to keep themselves safe and to present in the way that they want to in the world. And it, the way it explores that with these very different stories. And I've, I've seen a lot of people say that like the first third of the movie feels very disconnected from everything that follows. And like, I don't really agree with that because I feel like that is the, the beginning of the movie is really the setup that uh shows us like the danger that this person is in and like the trauma that she is kind of still trying to work her way out of that's leading her to be a serial killer um but then everything that happens from that switch forward is is the beautiful catharsis of like finally finding i mean similar to what we're talking about together together this is a very this is very much a story about love not romantic love but like finding a true connection with someone when you are both bound by this connection of um needing to control your body when you feel like your body is not doing what you want it to do and yeah i i think about it all the time it's incredible 
Yeah. So Carrie's smart, and she came up with a, a better take on it than I did. I um, you couldn't get the amount of cars she fucked correct. Uh, it's like You're I off by a factor the, of two. Yeah, it's like I didn't even watch the movie. Um, um, but yeah, I Carrie, that's that's actually really well put. Um, I thanks. would love to cover this on the show. We covered Raw. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it for sure. Yeah, we could do a whole like inspired by Cronenberg month, which would be fun because I'd yeah. love to do um, a few others in that mini genre. Uh, my number three. His, so his, his son I... and now his daughter are also doing Cronenberg movies now. Well, they were raised. That's they're they're Cronenberg Nepo babies. My... Which are very malformed and they come out of all <laughs> of your skin, but they're still Nepo babies. It's a very specific uh, weird form of nepotism where it's like, yeah, you can have a career. Make some fucked up shit though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you seen the brood? <laughs> I made that about you. I uh, do I, I have a I have a perhaps cynical, perhaps uh intelligent take on that, which is that um uh, their dad said, hey, the way that I got to do movie, whatever movie I wanted to make was by making genre movies first. So mm. make a bunch of fucked up horror movies with my name on it, and then you're going to get to do whatever you want in your 50s. Who do you think kids had to process more? David Lynch's, when he, they finally made a racer head about her? Or <laughs> um, it's watching The Brood if you're David Cronenberg's <laughs> That's going to be so shitty. The half of that movie is about like, you were not ready to be here. a father. I know. I made a whole movie. Your mother really dragged me for the through the dirt. All right. Yeah. yeah. All right. My number three. I said West Side Story number four. My number three. I'm I'm ready for your cheers. I know everyone. Yeah, West Side Story great movie. Those are the cheers. Number three is the cheers from you, both of you. I think, but it's in the heights. <laughs> Uh, which I loved. And besides my number one movie, the movie that I saw the most of any movie on this list, um, watched it many times with Maya too. Um, I like, look, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the world has convinced me that he sucks and he's terrible. And I don't like his over enthusiastic theater shtick is, is worn thin on me. And, uh, his dad's terrible. And like, there's a lot, a lot of things. Uh, I get it. He writes really good music. Uh, mm-hmm. And he shouldn't be in his movies all that much. Uh, when I finally saw the Hamilton Disney thing, I, like, I liked – I loved the Hamilton album. But when I finally saw the Hamilton like Disney recording of the play, I was like, oh, my God. Uh, he is terrible. Uh, the touring show is better just for not having him as the lead. But uh, – I think In the Heights is the perfect distillation there because it's fantastic music, great acting all the way through, amazing actors that I love. And I like it. It has um, it has so much um, so much good choreography and just it, it's moving in a way that like I feel like we're getting more of those in musicals again. But I've always felt like a musical photography in the last 20 years for the most part is really stained and still and this you know the camera flying all around stuff like that is fantastic and yeah. they do such a good job of it in this in this movie the only thing that kind of puts it out like when i really was like okay what what do i like better this or west side story like i like the west side story songs but like the soundtrack that i'm listening to is in the heights so mm-hmm. i just you know fantastic i love it i the lin-manuel miranda stink i think has hurt its reputation but it is an amazing movie it's I it's really well done it. I haven't seen it um, because I find him very annoying. Yeah, well, I, I know, but I why haven't you seen it? Because he's annoying. Yeah. <laughs> I will eventually watch it, especially given such a rousing endorsement. I will also say that uh, my personal favorite work of his from 2021 
is not a film that he appeared in, um, but the film that he directed, which is Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, and he is, for for all of the things that have started to kind of annoy me about him as a writer and a performer, and I will say, like, I really enjoyed In the Heights. Um, I thought it was a really fun time. Um, but I hadn't really experienced much of him as a director and, like, man, he's he's actually great at that. And, like, if he, like, talks less and, like, does does that more often, I feel like the the perception of him will shift a bit. Yeah, I, agreed. Uh, I get I mean, he he's he became omnipresent. But the thing is, like, even the Encanto songs I ended up absolutely loving. Um, so, I mean, like, oh, yeah. He, and he has a very specific style that, like, just really, like, works well. Like, I, I really... I really love it, and so even when he's at when when I when even I got sick of him because of tweets and other annoying things. But then, but then I see him on some like Kirby enthusiasm, and he's playing the word like he's so fun. He's he makes fun of himself so much in that season. Is like I love that so season. good, and that whole arc is really good with him in it. And it's like okay, maybe he does get that he's kind of very frustrating at times. Yeah, and, and yeah. complained. I, so I I like uh, a lot of the Disney musicals that he's scored and worked on like i find them very charming like i'm not gonna not gonna lie like that's that's great uh it's also nice when i can not look at his face I can see you have to look at his face a little bit in the heights but not not much yeah he's too busy behind the camera you know uh carrie you're number three my number three is drive my car which we already talked about but there was one thing that i forgot to shout out about that movie so either leave this here or edit it in the other part whichever makes more sense um <laughs> I was really taken in this movie by how language is used. Like the, it, it, there's a whole setup where they're doing this production of Uncle Vanya. And I don't know if this is something that really happens in like Asian theater productions, but they have this international cast. Um, where all of these different actors are performing the script in their own native language, um, including um, a including one actress who is signing, um, and the way in which like different language is in, is used and like everyone is able to speak in the way that is natural for them, and it's all. Uh, one cohesive piece I felt like was really beautiful. I've never seen theater explored that way before. Um, it, it just really uh, stuck with me a lot. Um, and I'm curious to know if there are really productions like that that happen. Um, cause I yeah, I, I forgot about that part of it. That Yeah, yeah. that was very fascinating, the idea that like everyone would just be performing in their native language and they have translation through all of it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was so cool, and that, yeah, it required a screen for subtitles because obviously the audience um, doesn't speak Korean sign language and doesn't necessarily speak all the other languages that um, that are, are being presented. So, um, such a good movie, so yeah. incredible. It's yeah. one of those movies. It's one of those movies where it just snuck up on me, um, where I was like, kind of being guided along gracefully, and then I was like, just got punched in the face. Um, awesome. Uh, my number three, the name of this movie might be The Medium, but the spooks are large. <laughs> it's a great movie. Uh, the Medium is a movie. I love it very much. Uh, Medium is a, um, a movie that I watched uh, amidst a, a lot, a lot of 
uh, international and domestic horror movies, and uh, many of them top uh, handle the same topics. Um, some of them have like found footage stuff. Some of them have possession pieces in them. Some of them are about the specific beliefs of sort of you know esoteric or more pushed off um, cultures. Um, and this is a movie that's very much about like modern world meets the meets the old world. Um, and it uh, addresses it in such a cataclysmic, horrific, violent way where the modern world is often seen as this like uh, it's this like banal destruction of the self, um, whereas this um, chaotic like soup of of um, this evil world that can that, like lives below it um, is destructive to the soul in a more literal sense. Um so it's it's a movie kind of about people trying to protect their souls in in multiple ways. Um, I could I could see this movie being interpreted as a fundamentally conservative movie because a lot of movies uh, are about um, why you should listen to uh, the um, old religious figures and the old people in your life and stop trying to live a modern uh, free lifestyle. Uh, I could see that being interpreted in a way that's you know not very generous to the film. Um, but what it what it has to say there is actually very interesting. Um, the life that the lead character has to lead um, in this modern world is actually like fairly dehumanizing and soulless. Um, it makes her more money, but she is treated like a fucking like piece of meat. Um, so it's a it's a movie that I just like. It is essentially like five movies stitched together in some sense. But when you look at like what it's trying to say about how people actually have to live and contend with like these pushes and pulls of the old and the new, it's 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 a beautiful, wonderful movie. It's so much more than just like a series of amazing scares. And when it gets to the scares, it's fucking horrifying. <laughs> it's, such, it's, it's, it's the most intense movie of, of 2021 for me. Yeah, I really liked it as well, but not as much as Peter, and uh, that was a point of frustration that I did give it five stars. I think we spooked over it. Not really, but I, I think I was like, yeah, it's really good. Four stars. It was a bit. What? It was a bit, Aaron. It was just a fun bit I do. I don't think it was a fun Sometimes bit. Sometimes I do a fun um, bit. Uh, no one can see your face. Except us. <laughs> they can. They can hear should, me do it. Should we become the next Steven Crowders and do this on video? Uh, yeah. Uh, can we also make fifty million dollars? Yeah. Well, he turned it down. Oh. Uh, very topical. Carrie. Wait, no. No, you. I'm it. It's me. Man, lost the thread right here at the end. My number two. So whatever is Psycho Gorman, also known as PG. Great film. So um, much fun. What a picture. I don't know what you would call this subgenre of movies where there is these almost like attempts to recreate the direct-to-video, poorly made 80s horror movie while commenting on the fact that it's poorly made in uh, in, in parody – while making a very sincere version of those with more modern sensibilities, it is such a specific genre. There's a, more than a few examples, right? Like the um, – that was what Astron 6 basically – that was their bread and butter. I don't know if they, you would say they invented it, but like I love – you know, I, I – it may be – if you were to say like what would be – if you could pick a genre that you just wanted, like what subgenre do you want to just only have movies from? I think it might be this. This is like 
my favorite thing ever. And it's hard to get right. I've seen a lot of versions that try and fail miserably, unfortunately, and they're tough to watch. Even even ones that I think have their like heart in the right place. Like I don't know if you ever saw Turbo Kid, mm-hmm. either of you. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw that one. I didn't really like it. Yeah, it's it's doing the same thing. It's, just, it's like they're trying to recreate that kind of weird, uh, you know, VHS rental store like eighties movie, and they're getting it wrong. When they get it right, like Astron Six did more often mm-hmm. than not with like the editor, or even like Dude Bro Party Massacre Three, which I think falls into that. Like it gets it so right, and it's just a movie that I am. It's not that I don't just love for, like at the end when I'm reflecting back or somewhere through it. Like I am immediately on board and loving every second of it as it's going on and just like could watch it for hours and want to restart it. And I actually think Psycho Gorman is the best for, like as much as I love those other movies and I give them five stars. I think Psycho Gorman is the best version of it. It is so fun. It's so funny. It is, That's so, it is so like good at, at like – hitting of such a very specific 80s type of movie and getting the tone and the style and the the way it's presented right while still making fun of it at the same time and like doing just the most extreme surprising twists and turns and the the girl the the girl actor who plays the kid is just a, I mean, like, she's just amazing. You know, there's she's so, so many she's so movies and like that's how that character yeah. archetypes and sociopaths. There's so many movies featuring that archetype, and I usually find them annoying, like the loudmouth swearing kid. Yeah, um, uh, Black Phone from the same year also had a loudmouth swearing kid that I saw a bunch of people tweeting about, like, oh my god, she's like an icon, and like that. It's just a very annoyingly written character. She's a great actor. She's in other stuff that I really like her in. Um, not trying to be mean to a child, but like that character is like, like, like just calling someone a fucking fart knocker is not like inherently like comedy gold, my man. Like it has, there has to be like a character basis behind it. And the little girl in Psycho Gorman, the fact that she is in her own way as maniacal and devious as <laughs> as he is, and yeah. she's like ultimately like. She understands just enough of what's going on to be like, yeah, I know you're like a violent, horrible figure, but like, I, I've got you on my leash, fucker. Like, you're mine. <laughs> like, yeah. that is that is such a great character turn. Like, and the it, fact that the, like there's other kids that are terrified of him and she's just like, she's just like, why would I be scared of him? I know the rules. I've got him under my leash. And it interrogates yeah. that and it doesn't let her off the hook. Like, it allows no. her to be actually a very complex character, which like, yeah. in old you know in 80s 90s kids horror movies like this like you don't get that kind of complexity no. so like being seeing this actually doing some commentary on the genre and like letting everyone be well-rounded is really good yeah yeah it's 100 percent a movie that gets to and like when this genre is done well it's like movies that get to have their cake and eat it too and also all of the cake making materials have improved dramatically yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah uh but now carrie Number two. My number two is Tatan. Uh, great movie. We'll do an episode on it eventually. <laughs> yes. Yes. Peter. Uh, number my number two is West Side Story. Oh, I thought, oh that is your number we, one. We can talk about it, yeah, yeah, but now I'm surprised at what your one is. Yeah. Yeah. I did some some last minute swap. You just couldn't, you like, some Keeping us core, on our toes. Like, yeah, I can't have number one last night. A so. musical is number one. Like you're like I'm not. I'm not there yet. <laughs> I might. I've never found anything ironic in my number one. It's not that funny. Um, what are you uh, talking about? You put urge in your number one. Oh yeah, that was a joke. It was funny. <laughs> yeah, um, so you did do that. 
that was some of the most joy I gained from watching a movie all year. So it wasn't totally ironic. Let's talk about West Side Story. Uh, West Side Story. Um, as somebody who, largely because of the project of this show and because of my two friends, Carrie and Aaron, um, I have grown to uh, really appreciate musicals. I wouldn't say I'm fully in the bag, but I'm like, you know, my legs, both arms, head, not forehead, though, keeping, <laughs> keeping it out. Um, just, you know, keep my head above the water um, or in the bag for musicals. Uh, I got bad news. You're drowning. Yes. <laughs> like, if this is the only thing above water. <laughs> yeah, but both of you drowned a long time ago, so... You know, I'm just trying yeah, to get in. Yeah, we're already in this. We have gills. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's, there is a lot of the um, mechanics of musicals that I've, I've found cringy over the years. Or there's a lot of um, particular um, musical mechanics that I find annoying. And some of them I still find very annoying. Musicals can be very irritating. Um, the, the, the incredible thing that uh, West Side Story does is that... It's not just modernizing, like, the language and the terminology and some of the making the themes relatable, like the themes of gentrification. Um, it's not just about, like, the fact that they actually cast Hispanic actors. Um, pretty pretty cool thing to do, I think. Um, if your movie's about Hispanic people. Um, Natalie Wood wasn't Hispanic? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, we, can't, we can't get into it. No. Move on, quick. Um... <laughs> But uh, that these the but that we've it's not just about modernizing like you know some of the surface level things. It's about that that he genuinely was trying to Steven Spielberg is genuinely trying to share that like a uh, an era of filmmaking, technical filmmaking for musicals and comedies uh, was lost. That like we used, that there was a period of Hollywood hubris where they spent so much fucking money on these sort of productions and then uh, the spigot was turned off because enough of these musicals bombed. Yeah. And then and then there were all these depressing musicals in the 70s some of them very good and some of them not so good. Um, and uh, the, the, the budgets behind these things are usually a very huge limiting factor. And the fact that Steven Spielberg realized that he had his cachet and he had the technical skill, he probably had the technical skill fucking 20 or 30 years ago, um, to develop uh, a movie that has this level of wildness and, and, and uh, energy uh, that, like, he could have these sweep shots that, like, these sweep over the crowd shots that, like, a normal filmmaker would, like, be their entire fucking budget. Like, getting that many people into a school auditorium and trying to, like, oh, we're going to do these takes until we get them right. And, like, this this part of the crane rig is $24,000 or whatever, right? Like, um, trying to do all this uh, and actually use studio money to, like, bring back not just, like, a story that was told 60 years ago. Because, like, you know. Lots of stories are still relevant from 60 years ago. The old movie's still good. Um, it's that he wants to bring a holi- remind Hollywood of what happens when you actually spend money on, on things that aren't just about uh, aliens invading New York and having to get shot down by superheroes. Um, like, you can spend this amount of money on, on a vibrant, beautiful, tragic love story about kids in a real place in a real time. Um, you can spend the amount of time setting up these shots that, um, you normally would have to set up for action scenes, but instead it's a scene that all it's trying to do is make it feel like this is a real neighborhood and not just like a stiff set. Um, 
And the fight scenes are not funny anymore. They're actually like kind of terrifying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I forget. Did you there. did you like the original West Side Story? I I like it more of a more of an appreciation than a than a love. Um, I love the music, of course, and some of the performances are are really lovely. Um, Natalie Wood is really great in it, and Rita Moreno, of course. Um, but I think this movie is is um, almost across the board an improvement. It's across everything. It's pretty amazing that. It is kind of a toss up between the two that like it can yeah. that it can be as close if it is like I I love the original a lot, um, but there are there are scenes in this in the Spielberg version <clears throat> that I feel like are done better than the original version. And like there are times that I would want to rewatch this version specifically instead of that one because of things that this does differently. It's just mm. so technically impressive. It's beautiful. The cast is fantastic. Um, I love the way that they work in Rita Moreno. Um, oh, yeah. They completely change the character of Doc to, like, you know, make a really well-defined role for her. Um, I love that, like, Tony Kushner really like thought about how to make anybody's like a real character and like cast a non-binary person and just like allowed that to be authentic um there's just so many good choices there's yeah. so many good choices i was just i was i was i was the whole time i was watching it i it was so easy for me to like slip in and out of like critic brain and just uh, a, a man having fucking fun brain yeah like it was so easy to slip in and out where i would like the like there'd be like a crazy crane shot like let's say and i'd be like yeah. how the fuck did he do that and then when they would go do the next shot I was, already, movies. I was already slurped back into the under the water like i was already back in the experience as opposed to just like remarking at the technical wonder of it i was very easily sucked back into the magic too right and i yeah. wish spielberg had been making musicals all this time like this might be the only one we get from him and like i'm so glad that it happened but like he's really good at this i do think about like the, i specifically the pivot point i'm thinking about in his career is like what if 1941 was good like, what if he was like, I can do a comedy? What else can I do? Like, I'm thinking about that now. And it's like, sure, he played around with some of this stuff, like the opening of Temple of Doom. Like, he, he, he's playful. But like, if 1941 had worked out and he was like, I can make a lighthearted, fun romp. Like, what else would he have done? What, what would Maybe not War Horse. Like? <laughs> <laughs> in 1942. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, It'd be funny if if, this, if Spielberg's career just crashed after making a good movie like 1941 because he gets obsessed with like making money and then he's like makes like Porky's three. Yeah, I'm, I'm so maybe I'm glad 1941 wasn't. <laughs> it's the sacrificial lamb, but yeah, uh, like I, I agree. I carry. I agree with you. Like, what if? Like, just what if Spielberg had been slipping these in this whole time? But like. This is an act of hubris, and yet it should not be an act of hubris. Like making. I think you guys are all forgetting a little movie called The Terminal Man, um, a nice lighthearted romp about a man locked in an airport. Um, oh yeah, I guess 1941 really, really traumatized him for making lighthearted movies, and then when the he's terminal, like, "Don't get in the plane." When the terminal the came out, he was like, "He was like, oh, I forgot, I forgot." 
Yeah. Um, my number one, which has been my number one since I saw it. I, I, like I, I wrote about this a little bit for the dissolve too about like. You know, there, there's a certain point where there's just movies that you end up experiencing and seeing. And this is actually a weird one because I've both seen it many times. But I've also just heard it many times because mm-hmm. it also has a soundtrack that I've, was my by far most listened to thing on Spotify in 2021. Like this movie represents 2021 for me. And I like also think it, it's so specific in reflecting a sp- specific kind of – societal depression in 2021 when I, I saw it when it first came out it's it's bo burnham's inside which i think works as a comedy as a horror movie it's uh, it is it is like this feeling of like it came out i think in may or june of 2021 which was like you know for for some of us that like thought covid was real and like we're taking precautions against it and stuff like that um that was like after like we you know at the end it was like it felt like we were getting out of it only to head right back into it again and just feel like stuck forever. And it was just like, it just represented like seeing someone, you know, how real it was or how performative it was. It's, it's hard to gauge like how much of that was part of the performance or how much of that was um, truly just existential despair. I'm sure it was a, a mixture of both, but it definitely reflected what I think a lot of people were feeling about society and everything else in general. And like, you know, Rick Kelly, friend of the show, he also just kept listening to the songs over and over. And it like at this point, it's barely even a movie for me. It's just like a thing that exists in my life with other things that I've experienced so much that I know every line and every word and every moment in it. And so um, that uh, that I mean, I can't like I thought about changing stuff around, you know, in 10 years. Is this going to be something I look back on and go, I you know, I don't want to revisit it because it just brings up a lot of stuff. That could be where it is, but for now, it is something that like I I'm not listening to the soundtrack constantly all the time on a loop, but it is something that I still think of like yeah I mean that 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 essentially captures in bits and pieces where I was and how I was feeling and how a lot of us were feeling, and then still ends up being very funny and insightful and like it's almost like a um a uh, isolated communal experience of wallow- wallowing in the despair that a, that a lot of us were feeling in 2021. So I can't think of a more representative movie that really hits at that. Yeah. I, I, I'm I really glad that I saw it. It, it didn't... I, the artifice of it kind of kept me at a distance from it, and I think that if it had been even more confessional, I might have it might have worked for me slightly more um but like not what you were saying before about like how much of this is actually indicative of what he's experiencing versus like what is a performance and it plays with that so much um which is great and like it's part of it's the point of why he's doing this and it's all that is also the piece that like kept me kind of at arm's length um as i was trying to like as I was, like, sitting with, like, what is actually going on? Um, not trying to, like, figure it out, but just, like, emotionally responding to that uh, disconnect. Um, but, yeah, like, it's it's a time capsule of something that we all experienced. And it's important to have art about that, especially... I'm actually kind of glad that I watched it so recently 
because I feel like we kind of have culturally like moved on from like not 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 even just moved on but like we kind of pretend like 2020 and early 2021 like just didn't happen um there's a lot of trauma burial yeah there's a lot of just like we all went through this and now we're never going to talk about it again and everything is totally normal and like no everything is not normal um and i watched it just in the last few months knowing that we were going to be talking about it tonight and it was kind of nice to be reminded, like, oh, yeah, remember when things were really fucked up? Because, um, like... We had no idea when we were going to get out of our house. Yeah, because we... There was sh- no promise that the vaccines were coming anytime soon, or... We should remember anything. that. We should remember, like, the days blurring together and everything, because, like, that's... It's an important... It's, it was, a it, like, a truly actual communal experience that now we're just breezing by and like that's not helpful for anybody yeah it's like that tweet like the oh so we're done with covid and no notes for society okay great like yeah that's what happened like we learned doesn't feel like as a society we learned much as a matter of fact people uh, are now going back and saying that everything that from vaccines to isolation to wearing masks was stupid and an evil plot so yeah Anyways. Is Carrie going to sing All Eyes on Me? <laughs> no, uh, my uh, my laptop needs to be plugged in, and there's not a good outlet right there, so I am... It was just a very, very good timing with you picking up the laptop. I was like... <laughs> kind of had that sway of the There's the my performance, song. everybody. Yeah. Um, I really digged uh, Inside more than I thought I would, because I've generally found Bo Burnham's uh, whole thing kind of annoying. I loved Eighth Grade, of course. Um, that's not really... Exact, exact same page. Yeah, it's just a different... I, I never liked much of his stand-up comedy. Yeah, and I, I found, um, obviously, the vulnerability of it is, like, very haunting. Um, and I found that uh, very involving. I had some, like, issues with the way it was structured that kind of, like, got, got in my way. Um, but, like the you can you can't deny um the power of of it as a, as a document to a time um it's something that is is going to i'm going to think of in a few years and be like wow i gotta i gotta go back and watch that again just like as a as a base point that like the strange thing that we all went through is like real and the thoughts that i and like have someone codify not my exact thoughts but like you know yeah na- neighboring thoughts into like jokes and like reactions and, and attempts to like try and um digest the undigestible um it's very yeah and i do i do think it were i do think it rewards repeat listens i think even songs like white woman's instagram which i you know in the first half where it's more comedy before it kind of eats itself and turns it on itself in the last half like i think even that that's a song that at first i kind of dismissed it like oh this is why i don't like bo burnham but when you listen to the soundtrack over and over and over like you realize there's like a very key part to that song that i kind of missed the first time too which was like there's a kind of a story in the middle of like all of these things like they were, were the the there's a recounting of a post about um missing missing their uh, uh the the white woman's Instagram missing her dad so much because she had passed away and like this idea of like that like we're all you know which is such a great topic that he tackled so well in eighth grade this idea that like 
Yeah, Instagram is this like weird performance that has a lot of, you know, people have the same cultural touch points, but there's like human beings suffering and going through life and other things on the other side of it that like we only see in these like snips and bits and stuff like that. And so I, you know, I went back and watched some of Bo Burnham's other stand up specials and they didn't, you know, there's a, the, his one right before Inside from like five, six years ago had some good stuff, but it was also like, theater kid cringy stuff in a lot of ways as well and it didn't quite hit me the same way but i i do think like there's something really from most parts of inside is he is pretty is, is hitting its marks really well or being self-reflective and, uh, yeah i i mean i don't have a bunch of youtube stuff that i need to self-reflect on and apologize for or something like that in the same way that but burnham does but you know, I do have things in when I was younger that like, oh, man, I didn't handle that well or didn't do these things well. And this this uh, like that kind of I, I think in that way, the the specifics might not align one to one with with me across the whole thing, like you said, Peter. But like I, I get a lot of it and I, you know, and when everyone has time to sit and reflect and it's just sitting and staring at the same walls, you know, that can be a time for assessment and growth too which i feel like a lot of us didn't didn't take and some of us did so my number one is paul verhoven's spiritual sequel to showgirls benedetta this movie is so special to me um i've i've talked a lot uh on this show I think I have about or I've, <laughs> it's, all, it's always confusing to remember, like, what are the on mic conversations we've had versus like, what have we just texted about? Um, but I've like had, you know, kind of like a fascination with with Christianity and none specifically for a lot of my life is this thing that like I'm very distanced from and like, ooh, what what's happening here, and especially growing up in like, you know, a very uh I had a very like sapphic adolescence um in teenage years especially and like uh, everything about you know lesbian nuns just or like the potential lesbianic nature of nuns always felt very uh fascinating and compelling and uh wow this is this is the movie that just goes all the way fucking for it um but here's the thing it's a movie that you know, I- I'm looking at my list on Letterboxd right now and seeing the the half nipple in the in the poster, and it's like it 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 looks like it's going to be just a totally saucy time, but that's not really all it is. And it's interesting actually to be talking about this right after Inside because this is also a COVID movie. This is a this is totally a pandemic movie that was made. Most it was filmed and written, you know, well before COVID. Um, so watching it in in this world, uh, where so much of the story is actually about, like, you know, when you should probably listen to people when they say, you know, please don't go out of this walled city because there is a plague outside and something very bad will happen if you go. Um, that was a pretty compelling narrative. Um, and also, in terms of what we were talking about earlier, um, in terms of stories about, like, you know, who's who's telling the truth? Who's an honest narrator? Um, when are people lying for 
you know, for their benefit or because they can't get out of a situation. The thing that I love so much about Benedetta is, in my read of it, is that it's a movie where, at least when we're talking about the convent, this is this is a situation where everybody believes themselves to be telling the truth. There are so many conflicting realities, and obviously not everyone is telling the truth, but I genuinely believe that every character is coming from a, a personal place of honesty. I mean, not when we get to, you know, the the bishop or whoever who's like just, you know, a total piece of shit. But like, actually in the convent, like everyone who is encountering this really intense uh, situation, like, is this woman actually talking to God? What's happening here? Everyone is doing what they think is right. I don't think that anyone is deliberately trying to deceive or to, um, you know, perpetuate illusions or get anyone in trouble, un- you know, in, 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 a, in a wrongful way. It's just there are so many conflicting truths and, like, this is a story about faith where you actually do have some characters who, like, pretend that they believe, but, like, the truth is, like, the Charlotte Rampling character is really fascinating because, like, her whole position in this is, you know, to uphold uphold a belief system, uphold norms, but, like, she doesn't, she doesn't give a shit. It's not... Like, that's not what is true to her. And that's where her skepticism comes from. And it's all, if every person is coming from a very authentic place and like exploring faith in that way, I think is really hard to do. And for it to be packaged in this non-sexploitation way, but actually have like so many deep things to say about like, well, you can never prove faith. So like, Everyone kind of does need to be taken at their word. I don't know. Yeah. It's I, I think it's just brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. I one of the things I thought was funny is like, you know, Ver, Ver, Verhoeven is really known for like sex and violence and gore, right? So like within at first I was like, I wonder if they're gonna. I, I put it on with when my kids were in the other room playing Legos, and like I'm like, I'm sure they take a little bit to get to the. <laughs> Sex, but they they don't oh. really. Um, so I was like, oh, I'll save it for for tonight. Um, and uh, but I'm like, man, you know, just nuns in a convent. Like, I assume like this is going to be probably the first for Hooven movie I've seen that like has the sex part, but not the blood and violence. And then like 30 minutes in, it's like, oh, I get it. Oh, Jesus is going to cut people's heads off. So it's, yeah, it's he got it. He got it both. I, I wasn't expecting Jesus to run around cutting people's heads off, and that's yeah. that's where the violence is. Got it. Looking looking yeah. like a romance novel cover. It's very much a Verhoeven movie. Yeah, it's, uh, it's so great. I did. I, Carrie, you probably didn't do this. Would highly recommend you Google articles about. I feel like Bendetta's release wasn't big enough that you normally like saw the like how dare they do this, and I'm like, did they write how did Catholic like um. Oh, there were protests. Uh, publica- yeah, no, I mi- I missed all of that. Uh, I, but I was wondering if Catholic publications wrote like the "How dare they?" And oh yeah, there's so many good articles. Oh, amazing! If, if you, yeah, if it's you want a little bit of a of a hate read of just people who don't get anything and like didn't see the movie and don't understand, uh, some guy almost I almost screenshotted them, but all of them looked like they were like even like official like Catholic like the the what is it whoever the 
like the Catholic League's website looks like it's written on WordPress, like it's not a fake article. So wow. I was like, I'm not going to bother screenshotting these because they don't even look like real articles, but they're <laughs> hilarious. And I, I highly recommend I, I want to check that out. I also really want to read Immodest Acts, which is the book that the oh, film yeah. is based on. It's based on. Um, because from the reading I've done, it actually sounds like because I, I was kind of wondering, like, I wonder what he's embellishing. I wonder what he's, like, inventing for the movie. It kind of sounds like beat for beat, this is, like, what happened. Or at least, like, these are, like, yeah. the accusations and the situations well, that came up with this person. He did give an interview that everything about – this is a true quote, which I found very funny, where he said, everything about the movie is true except for the things that we changed. <laughs> Love that. Perfect. Absolutely. Well, he's so good. Uh, Peter, yeah, we've broken the, the four-hour mark. Yeah. What's your number one movie? Uh, my number one movie is The Tragedy of Macbeth by Joel Cohen. Amazing. Um, <clears throat> Macbeth is um, a play that I've been very much like uh, – we, we read it in like uh, freshman year or whatever English class. And I was just – it wrapped attention the entire time. And then we watched, like, the Plansky adaptation. A few years later, I watched the Kurosawa adaptation. And it's a movie that's actually gotten, you know, for for a piece of literary history, it's actually gotten a, a good amount of, of adaptation. The Justin Kurtzell well version sucks. Um, but uh, I was like, what is left to do here? Like, are the Coens going to make it, like, a funny movie? Like, what's, what's going to happen here? Um, but, uh, it turns out, uh, this is not really like a Cohen's Cohen's movie. Um, and, uh, the, the approach that they take to the movie is, is very similar to the approach that I would take to the movie, which is that this movie is all this like death dream nightmare of, um, a man who got like, so a man and a woman who got so stuck in this like quest for power that like everything about their life just just shrinks and wraps in on itself and it becomes this hell for them. And like this movie to me is not even actually what the events, the events happening. It's them repeating the events in the afterlife, like them going through their sins yeah. over and over again. Yeah. <clears throat> the artifice of the set and the black and white photography really lean on this. Like it has this. It's very, sp- there's like no furniture. Yeah. Yeah. It has this feeling like uh, it's an unreal space. Um, it, it, it the, the the area that they're in is is this this like it's not a real castle this isn't a real this isn't a real place that people live in this is a place of, of nightmares this is a place where where your hopes go to die um and treating this like a a a horror movie like a piece of hell that um these two are trapped in is wonderful um there's not not enough good things can be said about the all the performances in the movie particularly francis mcdormand um but uh, the way I've seen a lot of I've seen like filmed versions of Macbeth and I've seen um, filmed um, versions of the stage play. And uh, when we were in high school. We went and saw like a community theater production of it. Um, what she does with Lady Macbeth is something I've never seen before. Um, the particular energy energy she brings with it um, is something I've never seen before. Um, it's purely Frances McDormand. She's filtering yeah. the character through herself. Um, it's no. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, I can't say enough yeah. good things about this movie. It's, I, I, I know a lot of people like they hear Shakespeare adaptation and they get turned off. But like I, that's my pitch to you is this is a nightmare that you are stuck in with them for a few hours and be thankful that when it's over, yeah, this you didn't is make the, the same like, sins that they did. 
Yeah, this is like I think the best Shakespeare adaptation if like you get caught up on the language of Shakespeare and have trouble like understanding what's going on. Like this is a very direct – as a matter of fact, it's got some mis- misguided criticism from people who think they removed too much of the f- the fun of the language of it and, and were too direct with it. But uh, I would disagree with that. Uh, funnily enough, so I was like, where did I put this on this? Because I thought I was going to put it as an Ani Menchi. I watched it as ketchup and I forgot to add it to my ranking list. But I, <laughs> I loved this movie too and I think it would be an Ani Menchi for me if I had to go. So uh, yeah, because it, it's, it's fantastic. Speaking so. of performances in it, can we just talk about Catherine Hunter? Because, oh my God. Oh. Like the, 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 the best, the, 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 the idea of having, cause I, before I saw it, I heard like, oh, okay. This one lady is going to be playing all the witches. I wonder how that's going to work. It's wild. It worked well. It worked so well. <laughs> she's, she's so frightening and fascinating and yeah, I, I totally blown away by her. And I, the, my theory that this is like Macbeth in hell, like he's already heard this story before because he's already done yeah. this before, is it, it reads into that, like that he doesn't see this terrifying figure and immediately turn back. Like he can't turn back, actually. He saw this terrifying figure in another form, maybe a friendlier form 900 cycles ago, but yeah. He's, yeah. he's just repeating these this horrible mistake that he made with his wife um, and, yeah. and this this demon is just transforming over and over again but ultimately he knows he's the one that got himself there yeah uh denzel's fantastic in it oh yes he's good actor Uh, yeah i know actually the time that i went from like great actor to one of the best actors of all time was fences he's so goddamn good yeah but anyways um yeah, this was fantastic. We're over four hours. We don't need to belab- belabor any points. Carrie, it was great having you on, as always. So great to be Peter, back. Yeah. Normal having you on. <laughs> We've done Standard. most of these together. Yeah. Um, and we're doing failed sci-fi franchises next month. Failure to launch, kicking off with Valerian. And Let's then, do it. That's it. It's four hours. Go to bed. Whatever you're doing. That's what we're going to do. Good night. Good night. Get your fucking hands up Get on out of your seats All eyes on me, all eyes on me Get your fucking hands up Get on out of your seats All eyes on me, all eyes on me Are you feeling nervous? Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand and you want to support the show. Show, we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, we really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. <laughs>